0: that's more children than died in in Hiroshima. And, And,
1: you know, is the price worth it? I think this is a very hard choice, but the price, we think the price is worth it. Iraq's military threat to its neighbors is greatly diminished. Most of its missiles have been destroyed. Iraq's behavior and intentions must change before our policies can change. Otherwise, we will allow the scorpion that bit us once to bite us again. To those who ask how long our determination will last, how long we will oppose Iraqi intransigence, how long we will insist that the international community standards be met, our answer is as long as it takes.
2: Truly monsters, aren't they? Welcome to the show and thank you for joining me. Pull up a chair. I have a wide variety of things to chat about today. Some interesting new information. I um, had been talking in the past about Rocky Flats in Colorado. You know the plutonium <coughs> excuse me the plutonium place. Well, <laughs> the, tra- the tragedy never stops. I tracked down where they're sending that some of that disposal stuff to. <coughs> highly reactive stuff to how they're transported around state by state and um, they're traveling it around they have places it's pretty pretty good plan pretty sneaky plan and i'm going to be talking more about these rivers and stuff because rivers are a huge 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 monster deal Uh, because there is a lot going on with these different regulations these rivers the dams and all of that Um, let me see here because i tracked down the names of where these disposal places are which will give you a starting point for how this is all working because um there have been a lot of um different (coughs) excuse me different incidents at all of these plants and so i'll be going through those today and also i found some interesting things about um oh just a variety of things about how they worship this black square which is saturn and I don't know. What I've been doing the last several days, we're pretty um, not doing very well around here. So what I've been doing is continuing to work, of course, because that's the best way to keep moving, right, and never back down. And um, so I have this file that has these different elements composed in it. And at the end, I dug up a couple of just fascinating clips about what went on at Rocky Flats. There was an informant, at Rocky Flat, supposedly, who tipped off the FBI. That informant's name, his last name was Stone, S-T-O-N-E. My view, likely one of their people, just by his name, his demeanor, and that is the great thing about YouTube, is somebody compiled all of the interviews with this Stone character and how it played out. And you'll see there's a progression in how the script is rolling along, right? They put these people in positions, these so-called whistleblowers, just like Edward Snowden is a fake whistleblower. Julian Assange, another fake whistleblower. But anyway, listen with interest, because so much was going on at that plant while they were getting massive bonuses and stuff for good behavior. So I don't believe for a second that... I believe that how these things work is they run them out until they can't stop, right? So... Things got so out of control at Rocky Flats, then they had to stage this thing by claiming that the FBI came raiding in there, right? Because, you know, when it gets too hot in the kitchen, you better come clean with certain things to get the heat off of you, right? So that's why they bring in these people. So, anyway, so yeah, logic to over today. Um, so those two clips um, will happen at the end, okay? I'll just have those played at the end. So, first, I'd like you to. Watch this clip if you are interested. There's a clip on YouTube called The Poison Squad. Poison, as in Poison Squad. And it's PBS, okay? The Poison Squad is how they trace the history of food manufacturing in the United States and how toxic it all became until they were forced with regulations, all kinds of things, formaldehyde in our food. Well, this is why... They bleach our food and radiate our food in this country because those sloppy habits never went away. So, talked about that enough in the past, but I would suggest strongly you take a look at The Poison Squad, PBS, on YouTube. So, let's first talk about the rivers. There's three, the three largest rivers in the world are the Nile, the Amazon, and the Yangtze, okay? Okay. The Amazon River is the largest river in the South America and the largest draining system in the world in terms of the volume of its flow and the area of its basin, okay? So, which makes it slightly shorter than the Nile. So, the Amazon remains undammed, but around 412 dams are in operation in the Amazon's tributary rivers, so the Amazon itself is not a dam, but it's a tributary. Like what I've been talking about Brazil and stuff, right? For these 412 dams, 151 are constructed over six of the main tributary rivers that drain into the Amazon. So um, then they were talking about Brazil's current 10-year energy expansion plan for three more large dams. In Amazonia by 2029. Brazil's 2050 national energy plan lists many more. And here is a wording I'd like to point out to you. Um, both plans, let me see here, both plans, let me see here, um, Both plans contain ominous passages explaining that the list of dams could expand if uncertainty is resolved regarding current regulations protecting indigenous peoples and protected areas for biodiversity, okay? So then we know that that's the Amazon, okay? There's three, there's several dams on the Nile River. We talked about the Aswan Dam, A-S-W-A-N. It's one of the world's largest embankment dams built across the Nile in Aswan, Egypt. So, so got those dams, right? But the Nile, if, what I'm trying to point out here is these rivers that are being dammed or have been dammed, like the Three Gorges Dam in China, which is on the Yangtze River, will take out an entire huge swath of the entire population should something happen to one of these dams, right? So the Nile River has been lifeline of Egypt for thousands of years, okay? Um, The Nile River is under assault on two fronts, a massive dam, that's the one in Ethiopia I've talked about, the Nile River is also heavily polluted in Egypt by wastewater and rubbish poured directly into it. The Three Gorges Dam, if you'd like to look further, is also a pit of, um, a pit of um, you know, what do I keep trying to say? A pit of disaster. So let me, uh, let's play first the clip about, let's understand first, the importance of the Yangtze River. Okay, that's Y A N G S T E. Okay.
3: Yangtze River. It is the longest river in Asia and the third longest river in the world, with a length of about three thousand nine hundred and fifteen miles. The river begins its journey in the glacial meltwaters of the Tanggula Mountains in Tibet before finally emptying into the East China Sea near the city of Shanghai. The Yangtze River is the longest river to flow entirely within a country. It is also the sixth largest river in the world by discharge, releasing 8 million gallons of water into the East China Sea every second. The river basin covers 20% of China's landmass, with a total area of 1.8 million square kilometers, and holds 40% of its population. The river is regarded as the birthplace of Chinese civilization, and a major source of economic progress in China. The Yangtze River has more than 700 tributaries. Among these streams, eight have basin areas larger than 50,000 square kilometers, and five have a length greater than 1,000 kilometers. Each of these plays an essential role in the Chinese economy. According to various sources, the Yangtze River Basin is a major grain-producing region. The river basin produces 35% of China's grain and 31% of its forest trees. Rice accounts for 70% of grain production in this region, with wheat and barley coming in second and third. The Yangtze River Delta is the most prosperous and populous area in China. The river basin covers 448 million acres and is one of the most biodiverse regions on Earth. The region is home to more than 280 species of mammals, 145 species of amphibians, 166 species of reptiles, and 378 species of fish. However, overfishing has seriously declined aquatic biological resources in recent years. Some species have even become extinct. Three Gorges Dam, built across the Yangtze River, is the world's largest hydropower station. This large dam produces more than 100 billion kilowatt hours of power annually. It sustains the daily needs of approximately 200 million people in major provinces. As China's economy has developed, pollution in the Yangtze River and its lakes has doubled. More than 50,000 dams have been built in the basin since 1950, and more are planned. Dams divert and disrupt the river's natural flows, affecting wildlife and people. During the construction of the Three Gorges Dam, more than 1 billion people had to relocate. The endangered giant panda lives in the bamboo forests of the Upper Yangtze region. Human activity has led to only a little more than 1,800 in the wild. The river is also home to vulnerable finless porpoise, only about 1,000 of them exist in the wild. One of the most endangered crocodiline species is the Chinese alligator, which can be found in the lower reaches of the Yangtze River, and it is the only place in the world where these alligators can be spotted. Many factors are affecting the health of the Yangtze River, including climate change, deforestation, and agricultural encroachment. Poor hydrological engineering and construction projects interrupt the natural flow, which has resulted in degraded and destroyed ecosystems. Species have been forced out of their native homes as a result of pollution and overfishing. Thank you for watching the video. For more...
2: Uh, the Yanks River is a, um, well, I would, I'm not going to get into any wild speculation because I don't need to because <laughs> how much of that population does that river cover and how many of those people would possibly be harmed? So anyhow, that is the Yanks River. You can also easily find information on your own. Just they have, I believe this is kind of a contest going on between countries, okay? You can look for things like the list of the tallest dams and all these kinds of things will come up. Okay, let's have a reminder, okay? Because in the last show I talked about, I think it was Eisenhower said that keep them confused over fusion and fission. Because what's happening with all of this smart box stuff now is that between the radiation from smart boxes and cell phones, they're flipping the words around, right? They're now calling, they're calling the radiation between both as being the same and they're calling it non-ionizing. Well, it's ionizing, that's the dangerous stuff, which is coming out of the smart meters. What's coming out of those other things? I've got a lot of studies that anybody could look at, okay? So, yeah, so what they're doing is they're flipping around words. So let's have just a reminder course here, okay? Fusion energy and nuclear energy are two different types of reactions that release energy due Due to the formation of nuclei with higher nuclear binding energy, okay, that's fusion. Fission is the splitting of a heavy, unstable nucleus with two lighter nuclei, and fusion is the process where two light nuclei combine together, releasing vast amounts of energy. Fission is used in nuclear power reactors since it can be controlled, while fusion is not yet utilized to produce power since the reaction is not easily controlled and is expensive to create the needed conditions for a fusion reaction. Well, I think it's possible that some of these nuclear places are indeed doing Fusion reaction. I am only guessing because remember, all of the liability is on the tex- taxpayers. These people have every incentive to blunder along in any kind of reckless factors they choose. Okay, so fission is a splitting of a heavy, unstable nucleus. Okay, nuclear power plants in the USA use nuclear fission to generate heat and electricity. Nuclear fission takes place inside the reactor of a nuclear power plant where uranium fuel is formed into ceramic pellets and stacked end-to-end in metal fuel rods. As of July 1, 2022, there are 92 nuclear reactors Operating at 54 nuclear power plants in 28 states in the United States. And I will give you a list later. The United States has in the 90s range, okay, the closest one to us is I think like China with 50-something, which keeps begging my question, why does the United States have so many of these? And watch some of these nuclear shows yourself on YouTube they're going along and they'll kind of under their breath mention that it's they can do the energy and the weapons in the same facility. This is not my imagination. And it, you know, don't ever be challenged by these words and stuff. You have to just buckle in there and learn them because frankly, whenever I look at something new, my mind just goes into Somersaults and I think, oh, my God, I never went to science school. So what's this all about? But just keep following the logic, okay? Because I can guarantee you that down the road, they're going to be confusing fusion and fission. <laughs> okay, so... And so the waste disposal method currently being planned by all countries with nuclear power plants is called geological disposal. This means that all conditioned nuclear waste are to be deposited in mined cavities deep underground. The Department of Energy, or the DOE, is responsible for the eventual disposal and associated transport of all commercial-used fuel, which is currently securely stored at 76 reactors or storage places in like thirty four states. And you need, we really need to listen to those clips at the end about where they were storing this and still storing this Rocky Mountain, Rocky Flats. Uh, that was stored in cardboard boxes. But I don't want to jump ahead here. Okay, so, A deep geological repository is a way of storing hazardous or radioactive waste within a stable geological environment, typically 200 to 1,000 miles deep. It entails a combination of waste form, waste package, engineered seals, and geology that is suited to provide a high level of long-term isolation and containment without future maintenance. Some examples of countries that have advanced in their planning, planning is the key word here, for deep geological repositories include Finland, Sweden, Canada, Switzerland, and France. They're planning, okay? Nuclear energy has several benefits. They think it's a, a here. here's where it gets interesting, okay? Because most of the United States does gross domestic product comes from us basically borrowing money, right? <laughs> the country doesn't any longer make anything, right? This this country is a Ponzi scheme, okay? So, this is where it starts to play into it, too, because it makes our economy look better to have all this nuclear stuff. The nuclear industry supports nearly half a million jobs in the U.S. and contributes to an estimated $60 billion to the U.S. gross domestic product each year. So... Um, The United States, this is where I, this is where I, this is where I found it, okay. (laughs) The lights went off in my head on this one, okay. So, knowing those words, okay. Then I figured out that the U.S., I knew that they had one place, okay, because I was looking into this one place, and it's a place called WIPP near Carlsbad, New Mexico, okay. So I found this, w, I was over hunting around on Yandex.com, and this WIPP caught my attention near Carlsbad, New Mexico, right? And that supposedly is a deep geological repository here in the United States. So, so there's two, because the second one is Yucca Mountain in Nevada where funding and development have been halted since 2010. So bing, 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 bing. So now I have one place that they're admitting to they're dumping this stuff, right? Because how did I find that place? Well, because they're taking things from Rocky Flats. (laughs) Always follow the trail. Okay, so anyhow, so then I started digging deeper. It's called the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant, okay, or W-I-P-P is the world's third deep geological repository licensed to store transuranic radioactive waste for 10,000 years. So I thought, what is transuranic waste? You notice that all these things start with trans, right? Like transforming us, transgenders, all this kind of stuff. So I looked up trans, it's transuranic which is interesting because we got that Uranus word in here too. It's T-R-A-N-S U-R-A-N-I-C So we got the word trans and we got U-R-A-N first part of uranium, right? So, now, remember, they're the ones who've decided that it can be stored for 10,000 years, right? So, evidently the other plutonium stuff is many more years, okay? So, here's what's Basically, I think is happening here. Okay, they have said, okay, well, okay, folks, Yucca Mountain is closed. So, where are we going to go next? Well, they don't want to cause any, um, any any overt messages to the public to get people riled up. So, how? This is my opinion. This is my view after I look through all these documents. Is that this is something a clever way because they're saying, oh, well, you know, this uh, this. Whip place, W I P P. Transuranic means like things like gloves and things like that, right? Uh, What it means is that transuranic waste consists, I'm just baffled by the, see, transuranic waste consists of clothing, tools, rags, residues, debris, soil, soil, right? and other items contaminated with small amounts of plutonium and other man-made radioactive elements. The waste stored at WIPP, and this is another key part, is from the research and production of United States nuclear weapons only. Okay, so they're saying that this WIPP place only has these gloves and stuff, right? But it's also an authorized place for anybody doing research <laughs> and production of United States nuclear weapons. Well, I would argue that all of these reactor places are, in fact, doing uh, nuclear weapons production. So that would kind of narrow this down to mean that, well, anything produced at any nuclear plant in this country would likely qualify it to be dumped at this place, right? So, um, of course they say that they have all these response teams in place and that's why it's reasonable to use them um the waste isolation pilot see they call them these funny names pilot program that makes you think that oh it just started last week no actually it started years ago so they say that they have numerous capabilities to address any safety and security events now you'll have to listen to that clip about what went on at uh, Rocky Flats and then you'll have to tell me if you believe any of these statements <laughs> okay where is this place whip located near Carlsbad New Mexico and I got confused because then I was hunting down this other place and it was in outside of Carlsbad California so yes there is another spot besides this place in Carlsbad New Mexico that is outside of Carlsbad, California that nobody seems to know about. Okay, so. While designed to... Oh, excuse me. Located near Carlsbad, New Mexico, WIP was created and was closed in 2014 after a minor radioactive leak. Those leaks always give them away. While designed to contain all nuclear waste of any kind, WIP is presently, presently licensed and permitted to only accept transuranic waste generated from defense operations in other words, bomb waste some of which is pretty hot so WIP is a 2,000 feet below the surface in this salt formation, okay, in the Delaware basin of southeast New Mexico this type of massive salt is the best Post rock for nuclear waste, chosen as such by the National Academy of Sciences way back in 1957. Politics took over in the 1970s and spent fuel and high waste Excuse me, and spent fuel and high-level waste was retreat was spilled off to go into another repository, one that allows the waste to be retrieved, and Yucca Mountain was chosen in 1987. So, um, the National Academy of Sciences picked this, so you trust them? Okay. WIPP had operated almost perfectly since it opened in 1999 until its first and only radiation Occurred on Valentine's Day in February 2014, and that that Valentine's Day is also some sort of Saturn thing with that little angel and the bow and stuff. That oh, not good. But anyway, the Valentine's Day has to do with that little. They want us to think of angels as being kind, but that halo means they're satanic. So, anyways, um, so on Valentine's Day in February 23rd, from a burst drum that had been inappropriately filled at a generator site. So, burst drum, okay. Initial urine and fecal samples from 21 WIP workers at the surface showed barely detectable amounts. So they always say, oh yeah, we, we took some samples and everything is fine. Well, cleanup was initiated. A new portion of the ventilation system in place and many ancillary issues resolved. Even though the leak had nothing to do with WHIP or the salt, an overabundance of caution led to the cleanup taking three years and $500 million. Even so, WIP is still 10 years ahead of schedule and over a billion dollars under budget. Well, I don't know if I believe any of this WIP business. So you'll have to take it from here, okay? But on 2016, December, the New Mexico Environmental Department gave the US Department of Energy approval to reopen WIP, removing the last major hurdle to resuming waste disposal operations. So WIP is back on, okay. So thus far WIP has disposed of ninety-one thousand meters of transuranic t- transuranic waste in about 170,000 containers, which were 55,000-gallon drums, equivalent to about 450,005. Uh, anyways, this is more nuclear waste than was destined for Yucca Mountain, since the majority of our nuclear waste is from bomb-making, not from commercial nuclear power. Did you understand that part I just read? The majority of our nuclear waste is from bomb making, not commercial nuclear power. While most of the waste at WIP contains primarily alpha emitters like PU that do not require significant shielding, some of the waste contains radion cyclones that emit the most Penetrating gamma radiation from fission products, okay? Gamma and fission are no bueno, okay. Near midnight on February the 14th, 2014, a waste drum that had recently been disposed burst its top and released about seven ounces of AM and PU into the WIPP underground. This release was immediately detected by a continuous air monitor. And the whip ventilation system automatically switched to filtration mode, rerouting the exist airstream through a set of huge surface mount HEPA filter banks, preventing 99.97% of the radioactive material from getting out of the repository. And if you believe that part, I hope you will contact me about some real estate that I have I'd like to offer you for sale. <laughs> The tiny amount of radiation that got through the filters and was released into the environment was a million times less than EPA levels requiring action and were highly localized. No negative health effects are expected to WHIP workers or the public, as well as no adverse environmental effects. Um, this release was not a failure of the WIP repository I have to read both sides, okay? (laughs) This release was not a failure of the WIP repository or the Salado salt, but was caused by the site where the waste came from. Thirty years ago, separation of the AM business, which means americum, from old weapons material generated a moderate amount of transuranic waste contaminated with the AMERICIUM plutonium, uranium and minor amounts of other radion size. So uh, when dewatered the, what would happen was these other things were basically lying around okay All of these things plutonium, uranium they, they call them minor okay. And when dewatered these hot vaporizer bottoms were poured into a tray, vacuum dried flash crystal flash crystallized rinsed with cold water and put in bags bags where they sat for almost 30 years. When these wastes were selected for disposal at WIP in 2011, the waste still had some nitric acid liquid. Department of Transportation regulations require no free liquid during transport to WIPP, so these wastes were stabilized with neutralizers and sorbents like sodium carbonate triathlopine and polyoxycate as they were put into drums for packaging and shipment. (laughs) I hope that reassures you that they have regulations through the Department of Transportation and how these things go on trucks. Sleep well tonight if you're going to hit the road. Okay. um, I don't know. uh, This is too complicated. But what they found, the reason I'm back to this is um, I talked about this plant um, in another show, and I just thought it was a regular new nu- um, I thought it was a regular nuclear plant and I thought it was one of the 90 or so nuclear plants around this country. But the plant that had the kitty litter that I talked about was this whip plant. <laughs> and I hadn't connected those dots. So let me let me connect the dots here for you and remind you, okay. So um, there was this blow up at this place. And how I, I guess I didn't—I I may have talked about it in terms of the, where it was, but I had no connection in my brain that this was this whip disposal place. Okay, so what they did was um, they needed to bring down the citric acid was used to bring the pH down if needed. Okay, a strong acid such as citric acid should never be added to a strong oxidizer. And they said any chemist would know this. Well, I'm not a chemist, so I didn't know this. And citric acid should never be used with metal nitrate salts at all because when they get hot. Similarly, for accolades, some decisions regarding these additives are vague and not indicative of decisions by an actual chemist. So what happened was... I don't really know how it happened or if it's important, but it, it, it just it just explains to you the recklessness of this, okay? So the story goes like this. There was this mixture. They found that it could be unstable. Inorganic kitty litter made from silicate minerals was recommended to be added as a sorbet. So somebody recommended they use kitty litter, okay? So... Um, Inorganic kitty litter, as the one called like Johnny Cap, is widely used in radiochemistry as an absorbent. Never knew that, right? To dissipate heat and generally to mitigate auto oxidation reactions. So that was kind of funny, right? In the WIPP drum, it was. Dr- this is a drum number which is also curious, right? The drum that they poured the kitty litter in at this official facility that went amok, the drum. Was number six eight six six zero six eight six six zero. So, so for reasons perhaps related to good intentions or merely related to dust, the inorganic kitty litter was replaced by another organic wheat-based litter early in the process. So somebody along the line just kind of decided, we're going to change the kitty litter. I I, am a little stunned that kitty litter is being so used in radioactive places, but I'll continue. The correct kitty litter alone could have prevented these reactions and the radiological release at WIPP. Fortunately, only two of the drums containing these evaporator bottom wastes had sufficient lead in them to generate heat rapidly enough to cause a problem. So, yeah, if you want to know more, look for WIPP drum 68660. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If this doesn't look like the planned destruction of the rest of us, I, I really am kind of at a loss for words. These isolated, no, excuse me, these oxalated reactors are slow and heat and pressure built up over time, sufficient to overpressure the drum and rupture the lid. See, yeah, so um, this is why these places always appear to me—and I'm just taking a guess here, they don't seem to focus on their ventilation and that always seems to be their problem, right? So it went on to say, this release was not a failure of the WIPP repository or or the Salado Salt. In fact, it was very fortunate that this drum was in WIPP when it burst, as WIPP contained the material as (laughs) designed, and no health or environmental damage resulted from the release. It should only take a few years of full operation for WIPP to regain its accelerated schedule. So whenever you have questions about kitty litter and radioactivity, please ask a chemist. (laughs) So, um, then I found this thing. Somebody said, um, can anyone explain why the Waste Isolation Pilot Program, or WIPP, in New Mexico it's not more widely known. I don't know either. I stumbled on it twice now, right? <clears throat> Why it's not rated for civilian nuclear waste. Seems like a good place to stow the stuff until the Generation 4s come online. Excellent place to bury Hanford and Rocky Flats materials. Why aren't these? See, this was the question that triggered me off onto this entire deal, because I was wondering... I wonder if there's any other place. And yes, there is. WIPP. Okay. Uh, The third... WIPP is the world's third deep geological repository after the closure of Germany's repository for radioactive waste licensed to permanently dispose of transuranic radioactive waste for 10,000... So if it meets that criteria of 10,000 years... <laughs> it can be stored there well well i mean they create the figures right i mean you you could see how this could wildly run off the rails right first of all they've already admitted that all this other stuff can go there just this this is legal mumbo jumbo it is located near 26 miles east of carlsbad new mexico in east eddy county in an area known as the southwest new mexico nuclear corridor which also includes the National Enrichment Facility near Yunus, New Mexico, the Waste Control Specialist Low Level Waste Disposal Facility just over the borders near Andrews, Texas, and the International IS. <coughs> Excuse me. I she could barely talk from radiation. <laughs> and the International Isotopes Facility to be built near Eunice, New Mexico. Okay, heads up, Eunice, New Mexico. (coughs) They have plans to build the International Isotopes Facility. doesn't sound good to me, but anyway. For now, this is just something to watch. Yesterday, there was a radiation alarm underground. This is talking about this uh, DOE spokesperson was talking about it, okay? Okay, um... And then these people, there's a couple of sources I'm going to give you in a minute here, okay? And these places always get under funding issues, right? Um, the news, rep- This is somebody else is saying. The news report I've seen state that only low-level waste is stored at WIPP. That isn't true. Although that was the design and the site was limited by law to low-level waste, WIPP is an example of deregulation through, excuse me, of deregulation though de- through defunding. So, the New Mexico Environmental Department office at WIPP was closed in 1996 due to a loss of federal funding. It was reopened in 2004 when it came to light that high-level waste from Hanford found its way to the site. So they just, they get caught, right? This is basically how it gets said. So d- documents obtained by the Albuquerque Journal and reported Tuesday, and this is, let me see, this was from um, early 2000s. Um, they found it in violation of EPA rules. Well, the, the whole system is rigged, right? They, they don't tell us what's on those trains. I doubt they put, they tell people that those dangerous trucks are passing through their communities. So, um, Oh, this was a um, report I found from 2022. It said, about 200 shipments of nuclear waste were sent to the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant WIP repository near Carlsbad last year. Now, how they came up with this underground salt deposit to put this stuff in is a mystery to me, okay? Um, so here's where we get tricky, okay? The waste disposal at WIP, okay, transuranic nuclear waste, is also called TRU, okay, and that refers to the clothing materials and equipment that just happened to get irradiated during this process. They, they ship them. They come from nuclear activities at U.S. Department of Energy facilities across the nation. So then I was wondering... Well, what places, right? What states do these trucks transfer through? True waste is shipped from Los Alamos National Laboratory in northern New Mexico, but also from sites like Idaho National Laboratory in Idaho or that Savannah River site in North Carolina. So, of the 210 shipments recorded in 2021 per DOE records, 55... Or twenty-six percent come from the LANL, which is the Los Alamos National Laboratory. Another twenty-one came from the place Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee. Eight came from the Savannah River, two came from Lawrence Livermore Laboratory out of California, and one came from waste control specialists in Andrews, Texas. So what I'm trying to point out here is in 2021, they're admitting that these toxic shipments were taking place between all of these states, okay? The other 123 shipments, or about 58% of WHIP shipments last year, were from Idaho National Laboratory, where research is conducted on nu- nuclear reactors, see, research, right? The other 123% or 58% came out of Idaho, In total, 74%, or about three-quarters of WIP shipments last year, came from out of state. So, a lot of trucks rolling into New Mexico, aren't they? Um, Then there was a settlement. The state of Idaho entered into a settlement agreement with the DOE in 1995 to prioritize waste shipments from its national laboratory to an out-of-state location, the WIP site in New Mexico. So um, on this clip that I'll be playing at the very end as far as just Rocky Flats, it has it all. It, this, this thing could have been, well, sadly, 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 a lot of people have been harmed from this, okay? A lot of people have been harmed from all this. And many of them don't find out until many, many years later. So not many of them who took these jobs in these places like Rocky Flats have any knowledge of why down the road they came up with cancer so um, the waste isolation pilot plant is an underground facility in bedded salt approximately below the surface Carlsbad, New Mexico Okay, um, and they have these reports and there was one that said transuranic Waste. What is it? Where it comes from? Where it must go. So I thought, well, that should be something, right? Transuranic waste results chiefly chiefly from the production of nuclear weapons from plutonium and enriched uranium. The term transuranic indicates that the waste contains the radionucloids greater than 92. That is greater than that of uranium. So there's really a lot to this. Somebody could... Produce a mini-series that would go on for six months just about these key elements here, okay? Um, and here's where it's key. TRU, which is this transuranic waste, consists of a wide variety of contaminated materials. See, this is where it gets tricky, right? Um, packed in 55-gallon steel drums and wooden boxes, TRU waste currently is being stored at various sites across the nation. Okay, um, and this, I was, I was queuing as far as what is the method of transportation of these to get to that place in New Mexico. The U.S. Department of Energy has established an elaborate system for safely transporting transuranic or TRU radioactive waste to the waste isolation pilot plant for permanent disposal or between generator sites. The waste is transported in four shipping casks, approved for use by the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. The DOE employs professional trucking firms that offer excellent safety records and years of experience in transporting hazardous materials. WIP drivers must pass stringent safety and emergency response examinations and maintain good driving records. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's being transported all over the place. It looks to me, um, they're, um, and I'm gonna, i i got to find this thing. I'll have the, it's also in California, but I'll run into that here in a minute, okay, because um, I already talked about the one disaster they had there as far as um, February February 2014, so we'll go past this. Um, there's a group I want you to look into, okay? They have a lot of data on their website. You'll find a wealth of information. It is called the Southwest, all one word, Research and Information Center. They've done a lot of reports that I found over there which were interesting. Southwest Research and Information Center, also S-R-I-C, okay? They have a lot of reports because I found one that was interesting, and it said um, the 2014 Incidents Raise the question This was a 2014 incident at this place with a kitty litter, right? Yeah, I gotta keep my disaster straight in my head. Yeah, this place, the whip, the whip place, okay. This whole disaster was caused by a kitty litter, so let that sink into your head, okay. The 2014 incidents raised the question of whether or not Whip would be a safe replacement for the Yucca Mountain Nuclear Waste Repository in Nevada as a destination for all waste generated at U.S. commercial nuclear power plants. The cost of the 2014 accident was expected to exceed $2 billion and disrupted other programs in various nuclear industry sites. On January 9, 2017, the plant was formally reopened after three years of cleanup costing $500 million, which is significantly less than forecasted. On April the 10th, the plant received its first shipment of waste since opening. So, uh, but then in 2020 there was a big lawsuit about some worker there. But I'll keep going here. Um, so um, then they had a another place, and I didn't know it was a whip place. But then I found out it is a whip place because. I, was, I told you earlier I was confused about Carlsbad when they were talking about Carlsbad, New Mexico. Now, I was born and raised in California, so I automatically thought Carlsbad, California, right? So, I thought, oh well, wait a minute here, did I have Carlsbad, New Mexico confused with Carlsbad, California? But actually, no, I didn't. <laughs> There's two Carlsbads. <laughs> Here's the article I found, because I was scan here again, scan around the index, you'll be surprised what you find. Okay. Uh, it was, the article was Rockfall at the Underground Waste Isolation Pilot Plant in California, December the 10th, 2018. I thought, well, holy heck, what's that talking about? A rock fall occurred in the Underground Waste Isolation Pilot Plant near Carlsbad, California. Okay? The accident was reported on November the 4th. Four- now, remember, the other accident was what was that February the 14th right this was November 14th 14, 14 remembers their death day right they like D that's why they did D-Day during World War Two. D is the number 4 which means death to these freaks but anyway so the accident was reported on November the 14th 2018 53 mine workers that were occupied at the time were o- evacuated no radiological releases or injuries were reported the rock fall occurred in an area where poor ground conditions, which had been sealed, sealed of due to a radioactive release in 2014 that closed the facility for three years. So in 2014, this place in Carlsbad, California, <laughs> had a rock fall. Okay? WIPP's engineering team, was recording the displacement of the rock mass in the area since September 2017. According to this Todd Person, manager of U.S. Department of Energy's Carlsbad Field Office, such incidents were expected to occur. I want to emphasize that rock falls are not unexpected in the area that have been prohibited since we no longer perform ground control activities. So, all the proper precautions and safety measures were in place to protect our employees. So, rocks are falling, right? Uh, At first, WIPP stated that there was no waste disposal in this area, Carlsbad, California. However, about a week later, WIPP spokesman Donovan Mager said that this piece of information was not completely true. He explained that no contact-handled waste existed in the room, but there were two containers of remote-handled waste, which is more secure. That waste lies there before the ceiling of the room. So he says, well, not a problem, right? The director of the Nuclear Waste Program... This is another name you want to look for. Nuclear Waste Program, NWP, at the Southwest Research and Information Center, that's S-R-I-C, is worried about the current situation. According to them, it is problematic that 53 workers were inside the facility when a rockfall was expected. Moreover, he criticizes the failure of NWP to inform the public of the waste that exists in the collapsed room. There is a lot of waste in that room, not just in barrels, he says. To say there's no waste is just false. So, yeah. um, Meanwhile... State and federal agencies plan to deploy additional air monitors around WIPP and in Carlsbad. Soil samples are being evaluated, but restoring confidence in WIPP may, in the end, prove more difficult than addressing underground contamination. Carlsbad native Rachel Good, a 57-year-old gas station clerk, sounded resigned to the risk posed by having a transuranic waste storage site in the neighborhood her husband who works in a potash mine lab near whip was not worried about the event but good says she is rattled by the fact that she and four family members have all had cancer but what's a person to do the only thing you can do is leave good says i guess if i was really concerned i'd do more studying about radiation risk Maybe I don't want to know like the ostrich that puts its head in the sand. Okay. Um, So you're looking for... The the website is S-R-I-C. And they have a whole trove of nuclear-related documents, okay? Um, So yeah, this stuff is being shipped from all these locations by truck. Um, Okay. Now... What is this about I got here next? Um, what I was trying to do was insert these things over the last few days. Oh, we already talked about the Yancey River. Um, it's, they actually started envisioning the Ram- Yancey River in 1919, okay, um, and the Three Gorges. So they started thinking about this stuff way back then. Uh, well, it looks to me that Yancey River would take out a tremendous amount of uh, people and all that kind of stuff. So um, I would look a lot further and closer into the eugenics going along at the Yancey River with that Three Gorges. Because remember, along with the Yancey River and those Three Gorges, they are building these exhilarate dams and stuff all over the place. So, okay. Now, this this got me laughing. Okay, <laughs> this story. I meant to kind of put it towards the top, but probably good to take a break laughing now. Okay. <laughs> I was scanning the headlines. Yeah. The headline is Giant Wind Turbines Keep Mysteriously Falling Over. This shouldn't be happening. <laughs> you know, I'm in the state of Nebraska where they, they put up all these fake turbines, okay? And, you know, really, if we would just use our logic brains, okay, how exactly did we really think that those turbines along the highway here in Nebraska? are generating power that's actually being sent to the power stations here, okay? Because we all know now the power stations are getting their energy from the sky, so... (laughs) Okay, turbine failures are on the uptick across the world. Sometimes the blade's falling off or even full turbine collapses. A recent report says production issues may be to blame for the mysterious increase in failures. (laughs) They're just trying to get the funding to put those turbines up. They don't care what they put up, right, because they're not working. The taller the wind turbine, the harder they fall, and they sure are falling. Wind turbine failures are on the uptick from Oklahoma to Sweden and Colorado to Germany, with all three of the major manufacturers admitting that the race to create bigger turbines has invited manufacturing issues, according to a report from Bloomberg. Turbines are falling for the three largest players in the industry, General Electric, Vestas, and siemens Garmesa. Why? It takes time to stabilize production and quality on these new products, says the guy from GE. (laughs) Without industry-wide data chronicling the rise and now fall of turbines, we're relying on industry experts who note the flaws in the wind farming. (laughs) We're seeing these failures happen in a shorter time frame on the new turbines, Fraser says. The push to produce bigger wind-grabbing turbines has sped production of the growing apparatuses. Bloomberg reports that Siemens has endured quality control issues on a new design. Vestas has been has seen product project display delays and quality challenges, and GE has seen an uptick in warranty costs and repairs. All this comes along with uncertain supply chain issues and fluctuating material pricing. With height stretching taller than 850 feet, blades 350 feet long, and energy generation abilities ratcheting up accordingly, the bigger the turbine, the more energy it can produce. But the bigger the turbine, the more they can go wrong, and the farther it falls. And China is building the world's biggest world's turbine in the middle of the ocean, and it's nearly 70 stories tall. This was from, oh, I don't know, just like, I mean, like, recently, okay. Uh, New offshore wind projects coming to China, well, the biggest one today, measuring as tall as a 70-story building. The largest private wind turbine manufacturer in China has announced the launch of this thing, the greatest wind turbine on the planet. I think these turbines and stuff, and all of them being bigger and stuff, isn't this kind of along the theory of all these fake um, space things, right? We're going to get the biggest rocket up into space. When we are, They haven't put any rockets up in space, right? But the sad reality is they are, in fact, putting these things here on Earth, right? Turbines I'm not as co- concerned about as I am the actual dams and stuff. Turbines seem like modest, modest eugenics destruction compared to dams. And then I was also wandering around, you know, just, just because, just because a certain group of people, like these QAnon people, start to sound insane, there, there is a bit of truth in there, right? And there's something here, I'm not sure what, let me read it to you. And this is what they think. Why do all previous prophets and messengers... No, what do all previous prophets and messengers have in common? They all come from the Holy Land in Libya. According to the lost 777 books of the earliest original Holy Gospel, the holy people are the Americans. Also, in reference to the lost Q book and 777 books, did you know that the second coming of Jesus has to be born in the United States, making the United States the New Jerusalem. This is why other nations and countries who are transitioning into the quantum are being taken care of first. The rebirth of the New Jerusalem will come from the holy people of the United States. The map is referenced of the New Jerusalem. So, yeah, people believe that this is the center of this other thing going on. And here's some things I want to point out, because this is kind of fun, okay? Um, I've talked a lot about their symbols and stuff, right? And what I'm thinking I might do is, I think what I might do is um, figure out a way to possibly put this on the, um, because I'm going to be talking about these symbols, and then I'll get back to um, closing with... um, the nuclear reactor stuff, okay, so let's pause in here for a second. Um, These are loose ends of symbols that I haven't talked about in the past, okay? Because remember, on the show that I did about Saturn, they like that black square that has to do with Saturn, okay? And it's interesting how they've used this symbolism also for the Muslims because every religion is really Saturn, right, okay? So I found this thing. Hundreds of thousands of Muslims gather at Mecca to worship the black square. See? Embedded in one of the cube's walls, there is a black stone that was allegedly brought to earth by an angel. So every year, 3 million people, Muslims, pilgrim to Mecca each year, encircling the Kaaba seven times counterclockwise. And pointing to the mysterious black stone. See, they think they're celebrating Muslim, but they're really, this is Saturn or Satanism, right? In ancient times, they used to kiss or touch the black stone embedded in the Kaaba's wall. But due to the high number of pilgrims, today it is almost impossible. According to modern researchers, the Kabats, K-A-B-A, is precisely aligned with the rising of the star Canopus, the cycles of the moon and the summer and winter solaces. Again, we have evidence of advanced knowledge of astronomy in ancient times. So, going back to the black, there's a black square also inside of St. Peter's Basilica. And Other people go and touch this black square and pray. See, what they've been doing is getting us to pray to their elements, right? Because I know in the New Age stuff, it's all about praying to your angels, your higher self, and all this stuff, leading you in the direction of a satanic thing, right? So, um, and this was interesting, that I found. I've been talking off and on about... I think they've rigged the calendar, and I'm sure they probably have changed years, okay? There is a sculpture... Um, and it was Pope Gregory the Pope responsible for changing the harmonious lunar calendar with the solar calendar that we have today which remains the internationally accepted civil calendar to this day this is the reason why our calendar is known as a Gregorian calendar though historically speaking it should be known as Marduk's calendar that's M-A-R-D-U-K. so they said that this person, um, Pope Gregory, who would be a Roman Catholic person, right? So we have this solar calendar today known as the Gregorian calendar. Well, where did they get that from? They got that from this Marduk's calendar, M-A-R-D-U-K's calendar. Who was Marduk? Let's travel into their freakish world of mystery stuff, right? Marduk was the firstborn son of Enki, E-N-K-I, hence the royal Anukai blood, A-N-U-N-N-A-K-I blood. He was worshipped in Egypt as Ra, R-A, the sun god. He is the one who changed Egypt's lunar calendar with a disharmonious solar calendar after long and bloody wars Marduk eventually became the supreme leader of earth dethroning his father Enki E-N-K-I Marduk is a central figure of Satanism and he is known by many names throughout history including Lucifer, Satan the devil and the beast interesting proposition right so what you're looking for today's can't calendar is known as the gregorian calendar but they got that from marduk m-a-r-d-u-k their sun god known as Ra, r-a this is all about the sun right and then they want to keep us out of the sun right make us unhealthy so um So I was looking through, and I I will be thinking about this because it being an extra expense and some more time that I don't know that I have. But when I was looking at, I found some writings over on Yandex about people who have been exploring these um, messages written in plain sight, right? And um, there's a lot to this because when you look at the ceilings of some of these churches and things, they have this honeycomb design, okay? And right now... There's an effort to most of the bees in the world are getting killed up. Does that relate? I don't know. But let me try to explain a little bit about this honeycomb business, just so you kind of um, explore a little bit more. Okay, so look at these old places. Okay, and it's going to be called honeycomb. But there and there's also all of these reptilian characters, snakes. Okay, in this. In all this symbolism, they like these reptiles, okay? And remember, David Icke was always talking about them shape-shifting into reptile faces. So, where did all this come from? Let me try to explain some of this, okay? So, there's a sculpture of Pope Gregory sitting on the throne. While the person on his left lifts this lifts veil beneath Gregory's throne and uncovers a reptile. And it's actually in this actual picture, Okay. This reptilian entity is the dark power behind all of the world's leaders and the source of their royal blood. So in these, a lot of these um, Catholic imagery, you find these snakes and reptiles, right? Reptilian figures hiding in the shadows. In symbolism, the throne of power rests on the shoulders of the reptiles. The winged reptiles are superior to the rest of the reptile species representing a royal branch. Now remember, we got all these, these winged uh, logos, these winged uh, wizards and stuff flying all over the place. So these are the winged reptiles, okay? So in symbolism, the throne of power rests on the shoulders of the reptiles. The winged reptiles are superior to the rest of the reptile series representing a royal branch. And then there's the symbolism of the honeycomb, which you look at those ceilings and you'll see all these like little it used to look to me like they had all these round spots all over their ceilings, right? But those are honeycombs. Um, the symbolism of the honeycomb, the house of the royal families is present on most ceilings of the temples of the Olib. It is a hard statement meaning this was built by us and belongs to us honeycomb architecture of the ceiling represents the house of the bees, which is the royal families. The beehive represents the exterior of the royal temples. The honeycomb is always depicted inside the beehive, hence representing the interior. The bees symbolize the royal families. Another symbol found very often in correlation to the royal ones is the lion. Just like the Egyptian Sphinx, the lion represents the sun. All of the royal ones from Marduk's genealogy are sun worshippers. M A R D U K. And then I've talked a lot about these S's, right? S S S, okay. The Vatican's SS, Holy See, is omnipresent through the Vatican City and Rome. So this person went through and was looking at these SS things, okay, and they found these fleur-de-lis, which are eight-pointed stars, French for lily flower. These things, all the eight flowers, the SS, and all that stuff. The fleur-de-lis symbol evolved from the ancient symbol of the bee and represents the same thing, the royal family. So you you see that fleur-de-lis around, that's what you're looking for. I guess if you can't see a whole ceiling of them, just look for the fleur-de-lis. Um... It was and still is used extensively by the Blue Bloods. Notice in the upper left-hand corner a stylized sculpture of the Florida leaves. So they're saying, I did go looking, these Florida leaves are a symbol that I've seen everywhere, but didn't really know why. Inside this smaller temple, we find the honeycomb ceiling. So yeah, these honeycombs. Um, And then another thing, um, I have talked in the past about, um, in the Vatican... There was this place called the Vatican Snake Room. That refers to Paul VI audience hall. It's the audience hall located in Vatican City in Italy, which is an indoor space constructed in 1971 that the Pope uses for some public events and ceremonies. The hall is purported by conspiracy theorists to have been built to look like the head of a snake. A central figure of the hall is the sculpture, The Resurrection, an extremely large bronze depicting Jesus Christ facing the consequences of a nuclear blast. The room was constructed in 1971 and named after Pope John VI. The resurrection was added in 1975 and has both been praised and criticized for its modern take on the second coming of Christ. The pontiff often uses the room as an indoor venue for large services where outdoor spaces aren't visible because of bad weather. If you look at that picture, it doesn't take a conspiracy theorist to understand that it is in fact a snake. But here it goes on to say a school of conspiracy theorists believe that the audience hall makes reference to the snake, a symbol of Satan. Arguing that the shape of the building resembles the head of a snake and the two large windows look like a snake's eyes, some contend that exposes a covert satanic agenda on the part of the Vatican. Speculation about the meaning of the hall and its resemblance to the snake head have been around for decades this is not speculation that is a snakehead okay and you look at that creepy uh, the whole thing is just something else the response of most believers to the sculpture in the hall seems to be negative with many commentators online describing the entire space as demonic so yeah um, they always put it in front of us so let me let me go over this last stuff here this was the purpose of the event today um Okay, let's take a look at some data here before we close off here. And I'll be playing those clips after all of this. Um, oh, just so you know, I have fully disclosed what's going on around my house. Um, my blood will be drawn all this stuff will be taking place. Um, I don't know what their plan is when they start to wipe out complete households of people. It might start to look kind of suspicious in the future, so we'll see. Okay, uh, Okay... U.S. nuclear statistics, okay? Um, I just can't get over the fact why we have... There are, in the world, there are 440 nuclear reactors. You notice of 440, right? The United States has 104 of them. France, 58. Japan, 32. Let me see, it's kind of tiny. Um, well... India, 20, UK, I, I, I can't see it very well, so I'm kind of guessing, UK, 18 range, Canada, 16, Germany, 17, Ukraine, 15, China, 14, yeah, and the U.S. has 104, okay, um, Sweden, 10, and then the rest of were single digits, Spain, 8, all the way down to, why does Iran have one, Okay. The people who have one are Slovenia, Netherlands, Armenia. South Africa has two, Romania has two, Mexico has two. You see this 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 chart of who has these things is grossly seems to be kind of slanted towards certain countries, right? So this is the number of nuclear units, China, fifty-five. Um, yeah, China has 55, and the U.S. China has 55, U.S. has 56, Japan 33, Russia 37. I'm just scanning through the bigger numbers. Um, South Korea, 25, Ukraine 15, United States 92. Why? For a total of 438. So why is that? Why exactly is that? Um, so um, top five nuclear Electricity generating countries. United States comes in first. France, China, Russia, and South Korea. Why are they the tops in this particular thing? So, first what I'm going to do is I'm going to be playing this um, clip. Let me see here. About the um, failure risks at the Three Gorges Dam. Okay? So, I will be that right now because we need to understand because this is going to encompass 40% of China, okay? And I really like this channel. They're called China Observers because I have to get my news from somewhere and they seem to have a pretty decent handle on things. But, okay, so let's take a look at, this is about a 10-minute, 12-minute clip. It's called Second Largest Hydropower Station May Lead Collapse Risk to the Three Gorges Dams.
4: Okay, so let's take a look. Capacity of 16 gigawatt ranking 2nd in the world after the Three Gorges hydropower station was 22.5 gigawatt. CCP's top leader, Xi Jinping, sent a congratulatory letter for the occasion. Premier Li Keqiang also gave his approval. Han Zheng, vice premier and member of the standing committee, attended the opening ceremony and announced the official operation start of the station. From this, it is clear that the project is of great importance to the Beijing authorities. On September 16, 2005, the world's largest hydropower plant, the Three Gorges Dam, was put into operation with only then Vice Premier Zeng yen in attendance, while then top leaders Hu Jintao and Wen Jiabao didn't do anything. According to mainland media reports, Baihetan Hydropower Plant is located on the main stream of Jinsha River at the junction of Qiangjia County in Yunnan Province and Ninnan County in Sichuan Province. Was a total investment of about 34 billion USD, which is 2.5 billion more than the Three Gorges project. The Baihetan project is the largest and most technically challenging hydropower project in the world. It consists of a dam, flood discharge and energy dissipation facilities, water diversion, power generation systems, and more. The normal storage level of the reservoir is 825 meters was a total storage capacity of 20.6 billion cubic meters. The dam is a concrete double curvature arc dam with an arc length of 209 meters, an elevation of 834 meters, and a maximum height of 289 meters. Mainland media reported that the plant is a very large hydropower project that was approved and started construction after the 18th National Congress in 2012. The main body was fully constructed by August 2017, and started being filled with water in April 2021, finishing in May 2021. The first two units were officially put into operation on June 28, less than a month after the completion of the filling. The speed is simply astounding. Of course, the political implications of this is also very obvious, since July 1st is the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Chinese Communist Party. So this is yet another project dedicated to the celebrations, just like Sank Plaza in Shenzhen. Official mainland media reported that the scale of this project is enormous. It's located in the Torrent Valley of Jinsha River, with very complex geological conditions. The overall construction difficulty is ranked first in the world. It also ranks first in the world in five technical specifications. Capacity of a single turbine being 1 million kilowatts, Size of the underground cavern, size of the cylindrical tailwater pressure regulator, seismic parameters of the 300 meter high arc dam, and the pressureless flood release system size. In addition, this is a dam built entirely with low heat cement concrete. In the congratulatory letter issued on June 28th, Xi Jinping said Baikatan Hydropower Station is a major national project that demonstrates west to east power transmission. All builders have contributed to the country's major construction project. This fully demonstrates that socialism is worked for, and the new era is fought for. Jinsha River is the name for the upper reaches of the Yangtze River between Yushu and Yibin, with a total length of about 3,481 kilometers, a total elevation change of about 3,300 meters, and an average discharge rate of 4,750 cubic meters per second. Its basin area accounts for 26% of the Yangtze River Basin area. The total hydroelectric potential of Jinsha River is 100 million kilowatts, accounting for more than 40% of the Yangtze River. The Jinsha River is rich in hydropower resources. The 500-kilometer-long downstream section from Pan City to Yibin City in Sichuan has a drop of 719 meters. On this section of the river alone, China's Three Gorges Group has built four giant hydroelectric power stations. In addition to Baihe Hydropower Station, the other three are Wudonghe, Xiluodu, and Xiangjia Ba Station. The total installed capacity of the four power stations reach 46 gigawatt, accounting for half of the total installed capacity on the Jinsha River Hydropower Development Plan. At present, the first units of Wudonghe Hydropower Station started operation in June 2020, while Xilodu and Xiangjia Ba station have achieved full power generation in June 2014 and July 2014 respectively. Furthest upstream is the Wudonghe Hydropower Station with a reservoir capacity of 3 billion cubic meters. About 120 kilometers downstream is the Baihetan Hydropower Station with a capacity of 20.6 billion cubic meters. The Xiladu station is about 170 kilometers downstream of that, with a capacity of 12.7 billion cubic meters.
2: Okay, what this is, um, the reason I played the first part of that clip is this. That has to do with the Three Gorges Dam in China, okay? Three Gorges Dam has a lot of issues with cracking and different things like that. So I would encourage you, because when you look at something like the Three Gorges Dam, you can't just look at just that, because what they do is they have all of these other projects going on at the same time. So these other, they, they're just now putting in the the second largest one after the Three Gorgeous Dam, okay? And what that's going to do is, well, I don't want to start predicting things, but it's not going to be good, okay? And let me see here. I'm going to play this other clip, and then... Um, This is, let me see here, this person did a scorecard of what happened at Rocky Flats, okay, and um, maybe I'm not going to play it now because, um, yeah, I'll just have these two clips play afterwards. The first clip you're going to hear is um, going to be called Rocky Flats Whistleblower, and somebody did a brilliant thing of putting together all of these um, whistleblower TV interviews, so as this was unfolding, there was this person called James Stone, okay, James Stone, uh, you know, whistleblowers, I've already talked about this, anyway, so what you'll find interesting is in each news segment you'll hear, James Stone keeps going on about this story about what is going on out at Rocky Flats, I think it just got out of control and they had to do something about it. The other story is a pretty good one and that one is about um, somebody did a scorecard about Rocky Flats, about how they scored on different things. So they're two of the best things that I have found that thoroughly explain what went on out at Rocky Flats. So, and remember Rocky Flats was their first thing at this plutonium deal, so I am going to close for now. Um, I doubt that I'll be back, which you'll probably hear next are the next two clips. So be safe out there. Goodbye for now, and I will hopefully chat with you very soon. Remember, kindness rules a day, and if you want to um, make your decisions, what's your plan? you planning on backing down, or anybody going to stand up with these monsters? so clever blasting us right but does any of this make any sense i mean really i mean come on they're destroying our dna this is the final chapter of this game board their idea is to move forward destroy our dna and you know what i am sorry it's happened to my household because it has impacted more than just me but i gotta tell you just don't back down okay or just pick your own path and, and just stick on it Okay, be safe out there and goodbye. mountain high 1972 john denver welcome back boy this is something else just simply something else i was um you know there was a time that i was looking into moving to colorado from nebraska (laughs) Boy, i'm glad that never happened i was confused for a second here because i ran across this place because i've been talking about rocky flats then I ran across this place called the Rocky Mountain Arsenal, which makes me kind of surprised that anybody in Denver is actually um, alive. <laughs> so let's play this quick quick clip about Colorado Falls lawsuit over Rocky Mountain Arsenal contamination. This Arsenal is different than Rocky Flats. And in a minute, I'll be talking about where rocky Flats got their plutonium they got their plutonium from, from washington state i wish i was making it up i wish i'd been a fiction writer <laughs> okay let's play this clip so you can get a clue for it because i think in these smart meters they're also releasing other chemicals okay so let's take a listen here
1: in colorado is
0: suing the u.s government over who should control the contaminated areas that remain at the rocky mountain arsenal CBS 4 investigator Rick Sounder has reported on the arsenal now for years. Joins us now live from that area north of I-70 in Quebec
5: tonight. Rick? Karen, they ceased production here in the early 1980s. The cleanup was completed some seven years ago, but the state says there's still a potential threat unless it gets proper control. For decades, it was a place where death was manufactured. Chemical weapons by the army, pesticides by Shell Oil. Many of the toxic compounds remain.
6: It was referred to, I believe, at one time as one of the most contaminated pieces of property on the uh, planet.
5: Doug Knapp manages the hazardous waste program for the state health department. Now suing the army, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and Shell. Its suit claims an area called Basin F still poses a potential threat. All of. The constitute threats to human health and environment, it reads. He says the state needs proper management of the site.
7: But we don't have control on that, and we therefore can not ensure for protection of human health
5: and environment. Much of the hazardous waste remains in landfills or contained under covers. We went to a housing subdivision right across the street and found some people unaware of their neighbor. Do you know what the Rocky Mountain Arsenal was? No, you don't. It's right across the street from you yeah i know but i have no idea do you know they made chemical weapons there mm, i don't know did not know that when you bought here no doesn't bother you now no the state says even though groundwater remains contaminated it is treated
6: we don't believe that represents any threat to them
5: Members of the Site Advisory Board told us today that there are tons of contaminated elements here, and it says there are hot spots in the soil on top as well. The head of the Army program says it is all safe and they are proud of their cleanup work. Boy, oh boy.
2: Now that was Rocky Mountain Arsenal, run by the U.S. Army. Okay, so let's keep these places straight. Okay, now, this segment, oh, the the other place, the Rocky Flats, is located in a place called Arvada, A-R-V-A-D-I, Colorado, and Arvada has just all kinds of new construction going on there. Rocky Mountain Arsenal, chemical weapons manufacturer located in the Denver metropolitan area in Commerce City, Colorado. The site was completed in December 1942, operated by the U.S. Army throughout the later 20th century, and was controversial among local residents until its closure in 1992. Much of the site is now protected as the Rocky Mountain Arsenal National Wildlife Refuge. So they didn't change the name too much in this case. (laughs) What they do, like over at uh, Rocky Flats, next to this Arvada place, they put in a, uh, like a, I don't know, like a natural preserve. <laughs> feel sorry for those animals there, but anyway, so uh, they, I'm just kind of surprised they didn't change the name. It's Rocky Mountain Arsenal National Wildlife Refuge. Okay, history of, we're still talking about Rocky Mountain Arsenal, okay. After the attack on Pearl Harbor and the United States' entry into World War II, the U.S. Army began looking for land to create a chemical manufacturing center. Located just north of Denver in Commerce City and close to the Stapleton Airport, the U.S. Army purchased 20,000 acres. The location was ideal, not only because of the proximity to the airport, but because of the geographical geographic features of the site it was less likely to be attacked. They work on this premise that everybody's out to attack the United States. But I would have to argue, it appears to me, now remember, I'm just kind of guessing here, right? But it appears to me that the US military and the US government in general are the ones attacking us and the rest of the world, right? No better diffusion than to declare what you are as the enemy, right? So if you constantly run around saying that there's terrorists out there, Maybe nobody will notice that the U.S. is actually the terrorist, right? So, um, in Converse City, close to the airport, um, the Rocky Mountain Arsenal manufactured chemical weapons, including mustard gas, napalm, white phosphorus, lewisite, chlorine gas, and sarin. In the early 1960s, the U.S. Army began to lease out its facilities to private companies to manufacture pesticides. In the early 1980s, the site was selected as a Superfund site. That was, The EPA has a list of all these sites, and they're called Superfund sites. Go take a look and make sure you don't live near any of these so-called... How it works with the EPA is if... If the EPA says that you have something going on on your property, they will enter your property, they will bring in their friends to clean up your property, and then you won't have the money to pay for your cleanup, so then they will seize your property. But if you're dealing with the military and stuff, usually that property doesn't get seized, right? So so they could lease out the facilities to private companies to manage. I wonder who covers the liability on all this stuff, right? So it was a super fund. Okay, in the mid-1980s, wildlife, including endangered species, moved into the space, and the land became a protected park. Well, i got to give them credit. At least they didn't uh, grow things on that plane, right? Okay, now, there is one other place. I hate to break it to you. There is a place that was a place that provided the plutonium that was then handled in Colorado at Rocky Flats, okay? And that place is just north of Richland, Washington. And it sits on a site of a crucial part of the Manhattan Project, along with the Los Alamos and Oak Ridge. The Hanford Nuclear Facility is one of three top secret locations performing a distinct function working on designing nuclear weapons okay so we have this place called the Hanford site it's located in Washington state okay and uh, it's the plutonium finishing plant also known as Z as in the letter Z as a zebra plant was part of the Hanford Site Nuclear Research Complex in Washington, USA. The process to demolish and dispose of the plutonium-finishing plant complex, which at its peak numbered some 60 buildings, of course, 60, right, began more than 20 years ago. Around every corner I'm finding in this country is some horror, right, hidden, okay. The plant was the last stop of plutonium production. So Hanford Plutonium made buttons, okay? They made these buttons that were shipped to other sites in the nation for weapon fabrication during the Cold Cold War. Hanford's shuttered plutonium finishing plant has not produced its titular plutonium buttons since it was closed in 1989. But crews just finished the main demolition. Okay. How did I find out about Hanford? Well, because I'm a very nosy person, and I was cruising around over on Yandex, and I thought, what is this, what is this nuclear accident story I'm seeing here? And it was an article from 2017 called A Predictable Nuclear Accident at Hanford. Amazing that, right? I didn't even know Hanford, had no clue what it was, and there we go. A major deal here. Last week's accident at the Hanford Nuclear Reservation should have come as no surprise. On May the 9th, that would be 2017, and we're now in 2023, workers discovered a 20-foot diameter hole where the roof had collapsed on a makeshift nuclear waste site. A tunnel sealed in 1965 encasing old railroad cars and equipment contaminated with radiation through years of plutonium processing. Potential radiation levels were high enough that some of the workers were were told to shelter in place while others donned respirators and protective suits as they repaired the hole. The Hanford Complex, which dates back to 1943, produced the plutonium for the atomic bomb dropped on Nagasaki, half the size of Rhode Island. It is often described as the most contaminated place in the United States. Until its last reactor closed in 1987, it churned out plutonium for the roughly 70,000 nuclear weapons the United States built during the Cold War. This historian, Kate Brown, documents, explores the uncanny similarities between Hanford and its Soviet counterpart, Ozersk. O Z E R S K. So, Hanford has a Soviet counterpart. Like I've been saying forever, this is a cut and paste operation. The U.S. had, like, that worker program under FDR. The Soviets had the Gulag. We have the Hanford. They have this other place. So it is cut and paste. That's O-Z-E-R-S-K. Hanford has been a slow-motion environmental disaster since its opening, constantly excreting radioactive contaminants into the air and water. More dangerous than the tunnels are the giant tanks of liquid nuclear waste hundred and seventy-seven of them containing 56 million gallons of radioactive soup whose composition is only approximately known. The contents of some have to be stirred periodically to prevent the formation of hydrogen bubbles that would cause the tanks to explode. One million gallons of this witch's brew have already leaked into the groundwater from tanks that were built to last only 20 years. The US government projects that it will cost more than 107 billion to clean up the site, with remediation finished by 2060. Few knowledgeable people put much credence in that number. It would be nice to say that Hanford is a unique canker on the U.S. nuclear landscape, but it is not. It may be the most contaminated, but it's far from alone. At the Rocky Flats facility outside Denver, where workers fashioned Hanford's plutonium into cores, or pits, for nuclear weapons, there were many major fires in 1957 and 1969, whose... fire sent plutonium-laced plumes of smoke over nearby communities. Enough plutonium dust gathered in the facility's ductwork that some worried about a spontaneous criticality event, that is, an accident and uncontrolled nuclear chain reaction. Eventually, President George H.W. Bush, that was Papa Bush, right? Closed Rocky Flats in 1992 after an FBI investigation. And there's this other place that I don't know about, but I'll tell you. It's called Ohio's Fernand, F-E-R-N-A-L-D plant, which processed uranium for the weapons complex. Operators dumped radioactive waste into makeshift pits where it contaminated local groundwater and blew uranium dust particles out of the smokestacks when the filters failed as they did with some regularity they sure seem to have a problem with those <laughs> the air in these places don't they similar stories could be told for the nuclear weapons facility that savannah river in north carolina and oak ridge in tennessee which hushed up critically critical accidents while contaminating nearby air and water there are three reasons let me see here There are three reasons these Cold War nuclear facilities turned into such environmental catastrophes. First, the Cold War American state, fixated on winning the arms race, put a premium on beating the Soviets at all costs. Producing uranium, plutonium, and weapons components was a higher priority than protecting the health of nearby residents or the workers at the plants. A disproportionate number of who died of cancer. Ironically, since 1945, American nuclear weapons intended to keep the country safe have mainly killed Americans. This is my entire point in all of this. I believe a hundred percent these nuclear places are not there for any purpose but eugenics, okay? So it goes on to say, a second factor was state secrecy. And that's why they do these on military bases. This is not genius-level stuff, kids, okay? Get a lot of a lawyers, get a lot of lawyers on your side, get a few military bases, declare it secret, and you got a deal. As leading Cold War public intellectuals such as Daniel Monaghan and this other person argued, abuse thrives in the dark, and Cold War secrecy, secrecy provided much cover of darkness is to places like Hanford and what I've been saying forever all these times they closed up these countries like Cuba all these places what was going on there why did they close these countries up for all of those years and isolate all of those populations as a matter of fact another group of people that seem to have gotten lost in all of this um, if you remember I was talking about in um They had a big deal going on in Galveston, Texas, around 1909. It was supposedly the center of everything in Galveston, Texas. Well, giant floods and stuff took that place out. Where did those people from Galveston go? Where would they come from? Because they were bringing in boatloads of people through Louisiana. A lot of those people ended up in Haiti and Galveston. Lots of missing people in this picture here, right? So. everything is a secret so um secrecy okay for decades the government officials and the contractors that ran the plants were able to deflect civilian regulators nosy journalists local citizens even congressmen by hiding the skirts of national security officials defined vital nuclear secrets expansively to include not just the design and deployment details of weapons, but also the secret harms inflicted on Americans through their productions. Anyone who revealed the extent of contamination risked losing his clearance or being incarcerated. Because you have to have a security clearance to work in these places, okay, right? The harms concealed at production facilities were mostly caused by accidents and bureaucratically ingrained negligence. But they were sometimes deliberate, as in the now infamous 1949 Green Run, when Hanford deliberately released a substantial invisible cloud of radioactive iodine and Xenon, X-E-N-O-N, to see how it would disperse. Finally, we would not underestimate how novel and complex nuclear technology was in the early decades. Oh, excuse me. Said. Finally, we should not underestimate how novel and complex nuclear technology was in the early decades of the Cold War. Physicists, engineers, and technicians were still learning how the technology worked, how esoteric radioactive chemicals behaved in a range of conditions and how toxic waste products were absorbed into the environment. As in any endeavor, you learn by making mistakes. Unfortunately, these mistakes left a legacy of contaminated Cold War production sites around the country that are beginning to look like a permanent archeoplegue of national sacrifice zones. Did you hear me? Sacrifice zones. That's what wars are. Wars are also sacrifice zones. So are these nuclear areas also sacrifice zones? Will Hanford ever be cleaned up? It was the title of a 2013 Seattle Times article noting how little progress had been made after spending $36 billion on cleaning the site. I believe, and I wasn't there, neither were you, but I believe Most of this money typically gets stolen. If the pathology of the Cold War was secrecy and an atmosphere of emergency, we have the opposite pathology now. Department of Energy websites catalog the containment in great detail. After all, the more containment the site, the more money Congress should provide to clean it. And official timelines for cleanup stretch intermittently, beyond the lifetimes of many living Americans. In a perverse way, radioactive contamination has gone from a shameful secret to be concealed to an asset to be milked. The cleanup campaign is becoming like the counterinsurgency campaign in Afghanistan, America's longest war. But they didn't call it a war, right? They called it a conflict, right? They only called, they haven't called a war since World War II. The rest are just kind of like conflicts. You know, to keep those, the the whole theory is to fight them over there so we don't have to fight them over here. Why? Because they're too busy killing us over here. (laughs) It takes place on the periphery of American public vision. It greatly enriches contractors, and there is always light at the end of the tunnel. But the only way to get near the light is when the tunnel collapses, Okay, yeah, I think that person shares my views, now don't you? This is a eugenics program. And I found this article about Columbus that I had in here that I'll read. The only thing Columbus discovered was that he was lost. (laughs) Christopher Columbus, the first American terrorist. Christopher Columbus never set foot in the United States and the District of Columbia. District of Columbia, okay was not named after him. Columbus Day, as we know it in the United States, was invented by the Knights of Columbus, a Catholic fraternal service organization. He was also credited with proving the earth not flat, thereby, through empirical experience, declared over 5,000 years to be false and a multicultural life. Uh, some of these people think the Earth is flat. I don't ask me. I don't know. You know, I I don't have the interest or energy to look into it. When he set foot on that sandy beach in the Bahamas, October the twelfth, fourteen ninety two, Columbus discovered that the islands were inhabited by friendly, peaceful people called the Lucayans, L-U-C-A-Y-A-N-S. The Lucayans, Tainos, and Arwaks. Writing in his diary, Columbus said. They were a handsome, smart, and kind people. He noted that the gentle Arwaks were remarkable for their hospitality. They offered to share with anyone, and when you asked for something, they never said no, he said. The Arwaks had no weapons. Their society had neither criminals, prisons, nor prisoners. They were so kind-hearted that Columbus noted in his diary that on the day the Santa Maria was shipwrecked, the Arwalks labored for hours to save his crew and cargo. The native people were so honest that not one thing was missing. Columbus, I'm sure you're waiting for the punchline, right? (laughs) Columbus was so impressed with the hard work of these gentle islanders that he immediately seized their land for Spain and enslaved them to work in his his brutal gold mines. Within only two years, 125,000, half of the population of the original natives on the island were dead. Shockingly, Columbus supervised the selling of native girls into sexual slavery. Young girls at the age of 9 or 10 were the most desired by his men. In 1500, Columbus casually wrote about it in his log. He said, a hundred Castellanos are as easily obtained for a woman as for a farm and it, is, and it is very general and there are plenty of dealers who go about looking for girls, those from nine to 10, who are now in demand. He forced the peaceful natives to work in his gold mines until they died of exhaustion. If an Indian worker did not deliver his full quota of gold dust by Columbus's deadline, soldiers would cut off the man's hands and tie them around his neck to send a message. Slavery was so intolerable for these sweet, gentle island people that at one point, a hundred of them committed mass suicide. Catholic law forbade the enslavement of Christians, but Columbus solved this problem. He simply refused to baptize the native people. On his second trip to the New World, Columbus brought cannons and attack dogs. If, the native, if a native resisted slavery, he would cut off a nose or an ear. If the slaves tried to escape, Columbus had them burned alive. Other times, he sent attack dogs to hunt them down. And the dogs would tear off the arms and legs of these screaming natives while they were still alive. If the Spaniards ran short of meat to feed the dogs, ARCWOG babies were killed for dog food. And this is what we call Columbus Day. Columbus's acts of cruelty were so unspeakable and so legendary even in his own day. The governor Francisco de Babillo arrested Columbus and his two brothers slapped them into chains and shipped them off to Spain to answer for their crimes against the Arwaks. But the king and queen of Spain, their treasury filled it up with gold, pardoned Columbus and let him go free. The sinners... Okay, wait a minute. Yeah, okay, the sinners... And th- this leads into the story about Columbus, Okay. The centers of all three branches of the federal government of the U.S. are in the district, including the Congress and the Supreme Court in Washington. It is home to many national monuments and museums, which are primarily situated in or around the National Mall. Where is this going? That Columbus also proved the earth round is another program mean in the minds of the masses. See, some people think that it's a flat earth. I Like I said, I'm not gonna go there. The, but let's, go, let's continue on with this Columbus stuff, okay? Because we call Washington, D.C. District of Columbia, right? The District of Columbia receives three three electoral votes in presidential elections. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Why is it District of Columbia? What is this with this Columbus person? I don't know. Um, But here's some stuff. I wish you would stop. Congress passed the Organic Act of 1871 which repealed the individual charters of the cities of Washington and Georgetown and created a new territorial government for the whole District of Columbia. Um, And it said, all roads still lead to Rome. The land known today as the District of Columbia bore the name Rome, In 1663, property records and the branch of the Potomac River that burdened Rome on the south was called Tiber, T I B E R. Hold on one second. Mark? Oh, I can't sit in here screaming. Okay. Maryland was the name of the city before the land was donated by Jesuit John Carroll. And this Carroll family, C-A-R-R-O-L-L, the wealthiest man in the U.S. colonies at the time, who also founded Georgetown University one year before Washington, D.C. was created. Georgetown is supposedly a Jesuit thing, but these people, you know, I also thought they were Jews for a long time, but they're really Romans, okay? And then it went on to say, It is well known that the city of Rome was built on seven hills or mountains, and Washington, D.C. does as well. They are Capitol Hill, Meridian Hill, Floral Hills, Forest Hills, Hillbrook, Hillcrest, and Knox Hill. And then there are some biblical things in all this. This is, this is for sure the end chapter, okay? In biblical prophecy, at the end of which the city of seven hills will be destroyed, will this city be Rome or Washington? Huh. At the end of which the city of seven hills, but Washington has seven hills, Rome has seven hills. The White House is named after the Apostle of Maryland Jesuit, Andrew White, who helped found St. Mary's, Maryland, and returned to England to die in his later years. The Jesuits founded Canada at around the same time as White was establishing Maryland. President Jefferson Davis, the only Confederate president, as the first to call the building the White House. So it wasn't called the White House all up. Interestingly, it was General Davis. Oh, wait a second here. They have all these things. Let let me unpack this here. There was this person called General Davis, okay? And this person accepted financial support from Pope Pius IX. That greatly assisted the Southern Confederate against Abraham Lincoln's Union soldiers. The word soldier comes from sold to die. That's why they are also issued dog tags. These soldiers are issued dog tags. That's interesting, right? Sold, S O L D, to die, D I E. Okay, the. The name White House, however, was not officially until President Theodore Roosevelt had it engraved on his stationery in 1901. Prior to that, the building was known variously as the President's Palace, the President's House, and the Executive Mansion. So, um, yeah, pretty interesting about the Columbia business, right? Uh, So... There was this, they, they do these comparisons, which actually, you know, it's kind of hard to deny the reality, right? Because Abraham Lincoln was elected to Congress in 1846. John F. Kennedy was elected to Congress in 1946, 100 years later. Abraham Lincoln was elected as president in 1860. John F. Kennedy was elected as president in 1960. Lincoln had a secretary named Kennedy. Kennedy had a secretary named Lincoln. Lincoln's secretary told him not to go to the theater. Kennedy's secretary told him not to go to the theater. I don't know what that had to do with anything. I think Kennedy got killed in a car, um, supposedly. Andrew Johnson, who who succeeded Lincoln, was born in 1808. Lyndon Johnson, who succeeded Kennedy, was born in 1908. John Wilkes Booth, who assassinated Lincoln, was born in 1839. Lee Harvey Oswald, who assassinated Kennedy, was born in 1939. Are you starting to see all the staging that has gone on here? This was a script they wrote, and these people are freaks for this numerology. And I believe a portion of it, okay? Because there's a lot about this numerology that seems to hit home with me, right? Because all this work I'm doing about these psychopaths, my data, all this stuff just kind of fits in. I believe I've encountered these people in many, many other lifetimes. Okay, um, Lincoln was shot at the theater named Ford. Kennedy was shot in a car named Lincoln, (laughs) made by the car company Ford. A week before Lincoln was shot, he was in Monroe, Maryland. A week before Kennedy was shot, he was with Marilyn Monroe. (laughs) Okay, um, and there's something about this Jesuit business, okay? The Jesuits considered Washington, D.C. as the New Jerusalem, or their new birthing of a new world order. That is why the two states adjacent to Washington, D.C. are named Virginia, Virgin, and Maryland, or the Virgin Mary. Two states next to Washington are called Virginia and Mary, or Virgin Mary. This is just mainly some weirdo things that I made notes of. In the War of 1812, the British and burned to the ground the White House, but it wasn't called the White House then, right? And all U.S. government buildings destroying ratification records of the U.S. Constitution. Now, isn't that funny how they just would have burned all that stuff up in the War of 1812, so they destroyed all the original records of the U.S. Constitution? Nothing suspicious about that, I'm sure. Directly after the U.S. War of Independence in 1812, the founders of the new country chose the exact same colors as the hated and defeated British, who they had just fought to the death, where Ben Franklin challenged his fellow patriots to hang together or hang separately. Why would you choose the exact same colors for your new country as the country you just fought to the death? Does this make any sense to anyone? Also, the U.S. flag that Betsy Ross did not design is nearly the exact same flag design as the infamous East Indian Tea Company who were owned by the hated British. According to American history, this was the event that set off the American Revolution. It is no coincidence that many other countries' flags are also red-white blue... Like China, Russia, French, and all of them, which I've already talked about all this. They're all in it together. Red is the color of Saturn. The USA is a crown colony. A careful study of signed treaties and charters between British and U.S. exposes a well-kept secret that the U.S. has always been and remains a British crown colony. King James 1 is not just famous for translating the Bible into the King James Version. And I've also talked about this King James Version, <laughs> the only Bible that they're profiting off of, okay? So this King James translated this Bible, they call it the King James Version, but also for signing the first Charter of Virginia in 1606 which granted Americans British forefathers license to settle and colonize America. The charter also guaranteed future kings queens of England would have sovereign authority over all citizens and colonized land in America stolen from Native Americans via genocidal methods and its farming industry infrastructure was developed by africans stolen from their home well they're going a little far on this deal um because i've already talked about the stolen africas probably only about eight percent ended up here a lot of them may have been unregistered ended up in haiti and a lot of them ended up in cuba after america declared independence from great britain the treaty of 1783 was signed The treaty identifies the King of England as Prince of the U.S. and completely contradicts the premise that America won the War of Independence. Though King George III gave up most of his claims over American colonies, he kept his right to continue receiving payments for his business ventures of colonizing America. If America had really won the War of Independence, they would never have agreed to pay debts and reparations to King of England, nor chosen the exact same colors for gray, as they had for Great Britain. America's blood-soaked War of Independence against British bankrupted America, turning its citizens into permanent debt slaves of the King. This occurred once again after World War I when the U.S. declared bankruptcy and birth certificates were issued as collateral to the banksters, which is still in effect today. This is why debt is the key to control of all, and the more debt it rang up, the more enslaved we all are. This explains how we became debt slaves, okay? The founding of Washington, D.C. Few Americans even know the date or circumstances for founding the federal government in Washington, C. in Washington, D.C. where the U.S. President, Congress, and the Supreme Law of the Land Rule. Washington, D.C. was created by with the Organic Act of 1871. This is when Congress created the USA Corporation. We're a corporation. Never was a democracy. But you see that everybody chants these things, which are actually not real. Okay, um, this along with the passage of the 14th Amendment, which which did not free the African Americans as advertised, but made all of us second-class U.S. citizens under corporate rule and charter. On June the 20th, 1874, the President, with advice of Senate, abolished and replaced the 1871 government with a commission consisting of three persons. It's okay, baby. My boy's back here trying to breathe. A subsequent act, approved later June the 11th, 1878, was enacted, stating that the District of Columbia should remain and continue a municipal corporation as provided in this statute. The act of June the 11th, 1878, a permanent form of government for the district was established. It provided and that the commissioners therein provided for should be deemed and taken as officers of such corporations. Our currency and court systems are still based on Roman Latin law. One needs a Latin dictionary to decipher English law, yet few even know what the word Latin even means or where the word is derived. Our money or one-eye system of exchange is all based on Roman Catholic laws created with the first Sestini Q. Trust by Pope Boniface in 1306. This is where he and the Vatican Congress declare the Pope to be the trustee of all Jesus Christ's holdings on earth, including the reaping of all lands and souls. These trusts are still in place in our Western legal system today. B.A.R. Bar, as in bar attorney, which most U.S. attorneys belong to, stands for British Accredited Registry. Bar, they all belong to a bar. A corporation domiciled in the city of London, England. U.S. courts are for-profit corporations and attorneys and beholders to the courts or they cannot practice When I went through that lawsuit with Intel, I got to tell you, it was the weirdest thing. And I just couldn't figure out, well, I didn't realize I was fighting against a mob, right? But, you know, I had to go through several attorneys. They all acted like I was the guilty party, which I felt the whole whole thing was very, very strange. Uh, But anyway, so, uh, and I never felt like the attorneys were representing me was the overall feeling. That wasn't as a feeling, that was a fact, okay? But I did prevail. Don't, don't, Don't get me wrong. I fought the big dogs and I won, but it wasn't about the money because I didn't make money on it, but that's one part I signed that I wouldn't disclose, but let me tell you. It was peanuts, but I got them to stop using my work and stealing from me, so that's all I wanted. So, okay. Therefore, U.S. attorneys who are bar members are registered to the Crown of England whose corporate papers are registered away from any country law in Puerto Rico. Civil law is based on the law of the seas or maritime law. So to keep humans undergrounded and not under the law of the land. This is why in court, we go into court on our citizenship, partnership, relationship, ownership, membership, leadership, friendship, etc. Ship. It's a thing with ships. As a matter of fact, the uh, federal courthouse in Florida is actually, I think it's in Miami, is actually designed like a naval ship, okay? Therefore, in court, you will see the American flag with yellow fringes and a tassel, and why we have bailiffs and enter the court through a gate called a docket. Our monetary system is also derived from the Romans and the maritime law of the sea, that the Romans have controlled since the days of Alexandria and Cleopatra. That is why we put our money in a river bank with our currency, currency, it's spelled currency, C-U-R-E-N-T, C-S-E-A, currency, holding our deposit slips, boat slips, right? While we account for our money, a piece of paper with ink on it, in liquid and frozen assets. It is not a coincidence that the Vatican Roman Catholic Church is also known as the Holy See. Holy See, right? But they spell it S-E-E. With great help from our willful ignorances, they have created a legal fictitious person and a contractual obligation to to corpse orations. Meaning that we were all considered dead human resources, or chattels, cattle, in the eyes of the law. So we are considered corpse orations is what they call it, right? Your birth certificate was created in 1927, and only the mother's surname is used on the document if you were born in a hospital. The hospital is paid by the US government to register your baby at birth. Regis means crown and stir means to enroll. That means register. Regis means crown and stir means to enroll. So register your baby, right? So when you sign your name to a document, the US birth certificate includes a registered, securitized number that is pledged as collateral to the bankers since the time when the U.S. declared bankruptcy in 1933. This ever-increasing debt has never been paid off, only accrued. After World War II, the bankers had to have collateral for the massive U.S. debt incurred so they securize us as collateral against the debt of all of us since our birth." Yeah, that is the way it goes um, because, um, <laughs> well, they've got us, okay. They got us in a big corner. And if, if you don't want to know what's going on, then just keep those eyes closed, right? I would have to say that um, they got us through our birth certificates and all these words. So. Head on out, take a look for yourself. It's a pretty big world out there and this is actually some pretty interesting stuff to take a look at if you ask me because we have been enslaved and (laughs) nobody seems to know it. And now we're being murdered and nobody else seems to know it, right? Kind of a concluding thing. They have pretty much trained everybody against people like myself to think that anything that we utter out of our mouths has to be completely crazy because why would the U.S. government go out to murder its own citizens? why did the U.S. government captivate us here and declare us slaves? Why are we part of this debt, debt system? They created a complicated system that we felt was likely too complicated to look at. But i got to tell you, if you just open those eyes, whenever I start one of these little things, I always say, oh, my God, this is just, oh, my, I didn't go to science school. How am I going to figure this out? Well, you do figure it out, right? If you want to figure it out, you put that one foot... One foot in front of that other foot, and you just keep moving. Um, so, yeah, so I don't know what to tell you at this point. I think I'm going to be closing off this show now, because I can't imagine I have anything else to say, uh, <laughs> at least we're not right now. I never know what I'm going to, you know, I'm being propped up by a team, so I never really know it's an invisible team. So I don't really know what I'm going to be talking about next, but what we're going to be doing next is... Um, Oh, wait a minute. I was gonna play one of these clips before I play the next clip when I get up here. Luckily I have my one foot and fire the other philosophy because I gotta tell you, navigating all this and having my brain zapped with radiation can be kinda complicated some days. But I'm thankful to have this to look into because it wouldn't be very good to be this sick and not have a project to work on. So let me take a look here. I have a really good clip I want to play you. There's two clips that are just extraordinary as far as this rocky, um, flat stuff, okay? Um, one clip that I'll play you now is about the, um, this person went through and figured out that, uh, the safety evidence. And then the next clip, which we'll play afterwards, is that, um, whistleblower, James Stone, that character, um, I I don't trust that guy for a second. You you make your own decisions, but just see how it plays out when, when he starts talking and stuff.
8: So here's this clip here. I'm Tom Cochran, and I'm a nuclear physicist and an expert in the process of manufacturing nuclear weapons. I'm the director of the nuclear program at the Natural Resources Defense Council, and I've served on various boards throughout the years, including for the Department of Energy and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. I was asked in this case to analyze some of the practices at Rocky Flats. This is the Rocky Flats plant. It lies 16 miles northwest of Denver. The complex is approximately 400 acres with over 100 buildings. Building 771 began operations in 1953 as the main area where workers fashioned plutonium into nuclear bomb parts. Building 777 was another plutonium processing building. Several creeks, including North and South Walnut Creeks and Woman Creek, run through the plant grounds on their way to the Great Western Reservoir and Stanley Lake. Operated by Dow Chemical from 1953 until 1975 and by Rockwell International from 1975 until it was shut down in 1989, the plant was built to produce parts for nuclear bombs. The parts were made from plutonium, uranium, beryllium and the plant used other hazardous materials. Although traces of plutonium occur naturally, it is to all practical purposes a man-made element and was first identified by Dr. Glenn Seaborg in 1940. Plutonium is a heavy, radioactive, toxic, metallic element. Most plutonium is so-called plutonium-239, which is one of two primary ingredients in nuclear weapons. Plutonium was not the only dangerous material handled at the plant. Rocky flats use other radioactive and non-radioactive materials. For example, substances known as volatile organic compounds. But plutonium is the most dangerous and the one we will focus on in looking at plant management performance. People who work with plutonium know the most important thing about it is how dangerous it is. Inhaling even a minute quantity of plutonium in the form of particulates, too small to see or feel, can cause cancer. So first and foremost, plutonium must be handled safely and managed very carefully. Plutonium is also dangerous because it's pyrophoric. That is, under certain conditions, it can burst into flames spontaneously. The smoke from such a fire contains toxic plutonium oxide particles. Plutonium is more likely to ignite when it's in the form of metallic dust or filings. In making the weapon parts, the plant operators generated a great deal of plutonium filings and scrap that needed to be recycled and disposed of safely. Safe disposal is especially important because plutonium-239 has a half-life of 24,000 years. This means it takes 24,000 years for one half of the plutonium to be lost through radioactive plutonium from waste or a fire gets into the environment, it's not going away. Some of it could sink into the soil and some could be blown around by high winds, but it'll still be there and it'll affect people for thousands of years. Plutonium is very hazardous for another reason. If too much of it is brought together in one place, it can initiate a deadly nuclear chain reaction. The amount of plutonium it takes to cause an event is called a critical mass and the resulting nuclear reaction is called a criticality event. Such an event could irradiate and kill people close by. Exactly how much plutonium causes a criticality event depends on the shape and density of the plutonium and what other materials are nearby. If it's in metallic form, as little as two cola cans of weapon-grade plutonium is enough to cause a criticality event. In water, it can take as little as one-tenth as much. Criticality is another reason why it's very important to control plutonium carefully, to be sure that too much plutonium doesn't accumulate in one place. The fact that it takes so little plutonium to cause a criticality event is one of the primary reasons it's used in nuclear weapons. A bomb can be made with less than 10 pounds of plutonium. It's very important to keep meticulous track of every bit of plutonium so one can be confident it hadn't fallen into the hands of terrorists or hostile foreign governments. If you were running a plant that worked with plutonium, even in 1953, you would have known all this. And because plutonium, when not handled properly, is such a huge threat to workers, to the surrounding communities, and to national security, there would be important things to control. Fire safety safe disposal of waste, criticality, and inventory accounting. The U.S. nuclear weapons program, including the Rocky Flats plant, was the highest priority project of the richest nation in the world. Dow and Rockwell had the resources to do the job right. Let's examine the performance of Rocky Flats management in each of these four key areas. There were tons of plutonium on site at Rocky Flats, Tons pass through the plant every year. With that much plutonium around, a fire is a huge threat. A fire could cause a major release of plutonium into the surrounding area. Rocky Flats had many small plutonium fires every year. Any small fire can get out of control, and in 1957, one did. A huge fire erupted in Building 771, and it took over 13 hours to put it out. It was made worse by the fact that the building wasn't built to slow the spread of fire, and materials used in production areas were flammable, adding fuel to the fire and making it harder to put out. The 57 fire was a very serious incident. Documents show that fire experts studied it and told Rocky Flats management what needed to be done to improve fire safety, but Dow adopted only some of these suggestions. And some of those it did adopt, Dow undid later. Meanwhile, bomb production was increasing. More and more plutonium was used. The plant was even less safe now than it was in 1957. A partition put between two plutonium processing buildings to act as a firebreak was removed, so the building was more vulnerable to fire. Another big problem had to do with the hundreds of glove boxes where employees worked fire often broke out in these boxes, and they contained heat sensors to alert operators to fires. In the late 60s, material was added to the glove boxes to better shield workers from radiation. The shielding, made of a plastic called Ventilex, was placed on top of the heat sensors. This configuration prevented heat transfer to the sensors, making them nearly useless in detecting fires. It would be like putting your home smoke detector outside of your Unfortunately, the ventilator shielding was also highly flammable. In 1969, another big plutonium fire erupted, this time in the glove boxes in building 776. It developed into the largest industrial fire the United States had ever experienced. Even though many fires previously had broken out in building 776, only one person was on duty in this building at the time of The fire had already spread before it was discovered. A building loaded with plutonium and containing hundreds of tons of flammable material burned out of control. Several hours into the fire, firemen noticed that the roof was getting soft and began to water it down. As the roof collapsed, containment would have been totally lost, and plutonium-contaminated smoke released to the environment. This would have been a disaster of major proportions. According to the AEC, only the heroic efforts of the firefighters limited this burning. In hearings before Congress, a senior AEC official reported that had the fire been a little bit bigger, hundreds of square miles would have been contaminated, and the cleanup costs would have been astronomical. I am. Um, I'm going
2: to close this off right here and uh, pick it up on the other side when there's not all this noise. <laughs> I'm keep running. Put that one foot in front of the other foot. Okay, I'll be back on the other side when the noise is under control. Oh, wait a second. I'd probably be good if i Okay, before. let me pick this up. What I'm going to be doing is I want to read a clarifying act about this Federal Reserve Act, okay? Just so that it's clear. And I would hope that you would go and verify all of this information. Yes, we are enemies of the state. Yes, we are owned by the state. So... That's why they always show us that debt clock. And they show all the dollars that are being put on the back of the U.S. workers. Kind of crazy, huh? Okay, and then I will be playing the rest of this clip and closing this show. In case you're wondering, I have to pay the young person who uploads for me per file. I'm old, I'm poor, I'm dying, and I'm broke. So this is the best way I can share with where I am, so... I think I have it all here, so we'll just keep moving one foot in front of the other foot. Okay, because the Federal Reserve is not federal, okay? (laughs) The Federal Reserve Act was designed and written by a German national who was repatriated into the United States in 1903 through Ellis Island of New York. His name was Paul Warburg, W A R. -R 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 B-U-R-G, and who was a carbon copy of Alexander Hamilton. Mr. Warburg was a Shabatean German-Jewish banker and CFO of the Rothschild Banking Empire. Mr. Warburg's assignment was to craft a piece of legislation designed to control the finances of the United States Corporation from Europe. The Federal Reserve Act is approximately 1,500 pages and places the currency and finance for the United States Corporation under a private corporation called the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is owned lock, stock, and barrel by the banking empire, the people of the corporate government of the United States. Is all of this true? Well, it certainly appears to be true to me. Now, is it the Rothschilds? I don't really know. Just insert City of London into this whole thing because I've shown you before, it's Washington, D.C. for the war machine, Vatican for the scientists and all the religion and stuff, and then we have City of London where all the money gets financed. And one shady deal I want to point out with the um, high-tech people, the Silicon Valley people, in the 20s, they had these stocks into different classes, okay? So you could get some stocks that might have voting shares for that company, okay? Well, that ran into trouble in the 20s, this voting shares versus non-voting shares, because essentially it was a trick, okay? And why was it a trick? Well, because this is all a trick, right? So what happened was the Silicon Valley people started the NASDAQ, okay? That primarily has a tech people, stocks listed there. Well, several of these stocks, like for Google, but not all of them are under this old method, but several of them like Google. What it means is this. It's a very sneaky way to control things. For example, and I'm just talking in abstract. Let's say one of the Google founders owns 7% of Google, right? Well, by the way, they have manipulated this class share thing That founder of Google may only own 7% of Google, but they have controlling interest (laughs) in Google because of the way they issued the shares for these tech companies. Well, it has to do with robbery, pump and dump, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, they even have class system their own shares. So that's why they can... You know, I was wondering how do how do Silicon Valley people own control of these companies when they only own, let's say, seven percent? Well, this is how: by selling sneaky shares in different groups of different people is how it happens. So, yeah, there's always there's always some trick hiding behind all these deals. So, let's get up here to this. Um, where was I? I was with this guy. the The the, the, the um, clip is called Rocky Flats health, and safety violations. And it is from eight years ago, so I don't remember where I left off. I do remember where I left off, but I'm going to back up just a little bit here, okay? Okay, here we go.
8: This configuration prevented heat transfer to the sensors, making them nearly useless in detecting fire. It would be like putting your home smoke detector outside of your house. Unfortunately, the Benelux shielding was also highly flammable In 1969, another big plutonium fire erupted, this time in the glove boxes in building 776. It developed into the largest industrial fire the United States had ever experienced. Even though many fires previously had broken out in building 776, only one person was on duty in this building at the time of the fire. The fire had already spread before it was discovered building loaded with plutonium and containing hundreds of tons of flammable material burned out of control. Several hours into the fire, firemen noticed that the roof was getting soft and began to water it down. Had the roof collapsed, containment would have been totally lost, and plutonium-contaminated smoke released to the environment. This would have been a disaster of major proportions. According to the AEC, only the heroic efforts of the firefighters limited this burning. In hearings before Congress, a senior AEC official reported that had the fire been a little bit bigger, hundreds of square miles could have been contaminated, and the cleanup costs could have been astronomical. Some plutonium was, in fact, released from the building during the 1969 fire, although people disagree in their estimates of just how much. Most people agree, though, with the Atomic Energy Commission's assessment that only the heroism of the firefighters prevented releases from reaching catastrophic proportions. We must give the plant managers an F in fire safety. The next area to examine is the plant management's handling of contaminated waste. The plant generated a lot of scrap during production. Scrap rich in plutonium was recycled right at the plant. Lena residues, including contaminated machine oil, tissues, tools, and gloves that had plutonium in or on them were often stored on site. The goal here was to find a way to recover the plutonium from these leaner residues and reuse it. Let's look at the way the plant management handled these dangerous contaminated residues. In 1958, Dow established the 903 Area, an open field on the site, as an area for storing metal drums filled with machine oils contaminated with plutonium. This was started out as a temporary measure. Dow said they intended to develop a method to reclaim the plutonium from these waste oils. Within a year, the drums were corroding badly. Dow tried adding a rust inhibitor to the barrels, but the corrosion continued. To make matters worse, the drums were not properly labeled, so it was difficult to tell how old the drums were What they contained or how much radioactivity could have been released. Four years after 903 area drum storage began, in a document that has since been declassified, a Dow employee reported, quote, about 50 to 60 percent of these drums are badly corroded. The contents of several has already spilled out on the ground. Unless these materials are disposed of in a very near future, a serious contamination problem will develop." End quote. So by 1962, Dow knew that many barrels were leaking. But it's not until 1967, or five years later, that Dow began removing these radioactive drums from the field. By that time, there were more than 5,200 drums, of which over 3,500 contained plutonium. The problem was not simply that the plutonium was now on the soil on the surface of the field. Any disturbance of the soil on the pad could resuspend the plutonium particulates into the air. When the barrels were removed, the contaminated soil below was completely exposed to the winds. The high winds that are typical of this area could and did blow these particulates far off site. Let's look at Dow's attempt to clean up the 903 area. It took a year and a half to remove the barrels from the field.
9: They
2: just put them out in a field. Just set them there. He's just going through the calendar. Then the
8: field sat exposed to the elements for two months. Next, Dow burned contaminated vegetation from the area. Again, the field set bare and exposed for three more months. In November of 1968, Dow brought in heavy equipment and graded the area. As you'd expect, this kicked up a lot of radioactive dust. The lot was then allowed to sit exposed for nine more months when fill and then asphalt were finally applied. Dow's cleanup took nearly three years. Air samples show significant contamination at the time that the work was done on the 903 area. So not only did Dow create a huge mess, but in attempting to clean it up, they actually caused substantial additional releases of plutonium off-site. Since 1969, Dow and then Rockwell generated thousands of additional drums of plutonium and other radioactive residues. These drums have been stored throughout many buildings at the plant site, and most remain on site today. These residues are a catastrophe waiting to happen. Besides residues which contain plutonium and which were thought to be recoverable, the plant generated waste often contaminated with toxic substances that had to be disposed of. In 1985, it was estimated that Rocky Flats generated an average of almost 32 million pounds of these mixed wastes every year. A 1986 agreement between the Department of Energy, the EPA, and the Colorado Department of Health required Rockwell to close solar evaporating ponds that were leaking into the groundwater. These ponds had been used to evaporate water from waste liquids, and there was contaminated sludge on the bottom of the ponds. To dispose of the sludge, Rockwell decided to mix it with concrete to make a hard material they called pondcrete. They would ship the blocks to Nevada for disposal, but Rockwell never defined the process for making pondcrete. There wasn't even a formula that called for a certain amount of cement. The operators making the pondcrete just guessed at the amount. As a result, many of the blocks were not hard like concrete. They turned out to be soft like putty. In September of 1986, after some 2,000 concrete blocks had been shipped to Nevada, officials there determined that the concrete Rockwell was shipping contained materials that the Nevada site was not authorized to store. The officials immediately stopped accepting the concrete. Rockwell's response was to store the blocks outdoors on the 750 pad. The concrete was packaged in plastic-lined, tri-wall cardboard boxes. These boxes were completely inappropriate for outdoor storage of Pine Creek. During this time, there's no evidence that Rockwell Management made any backup plans or changes in procedure. The company continued to make semi-soft, 1,200-pound blocks containing contaminated waste and to store them in cardboard boxes outside, protected only by tarps that frequently blew off in the high wind. By the end of September 1987, there were over 10,000 cardboard boxes of concrete on the 750 pad. Running out of room, Rockwell began to use the 904 pad as well. Not surprisingly, given these conditions, the boxes began to deteriorate. In May of 1988, a box fell and broke open on the 904 pad. Environmental samples taken soon after showed contamination. In the year and a half, the halting of the shipments to Nevada and the 1988 spill more than 16,500 blocks were produced and stored in cardboard boxes outdoors. The Department of Energy determined that 9,000 boxes stored outdoors had deteriorated. It will cost hundreds of millions of dollars to clean up this radioactive mess. There's an almost identical story about Rockwell's handling of salt waste. That product was called Salt Creek and it was also poorly made, inappropriately packaged and stored outside, and it also leaked. The examples of extreme mishandling of waste go on and on. Rockwell knowingly misused the 1952 sewage treatment plant and routinely discharged chemicals into the effluent. They knew their system ultimately fed into local communities' drinking water, and yet they continued these practices. Later, Rockwell pleaded guilty to criminal violation of federal environmental laws in the, each of the pond creek, salt creek, and sewage treatment matters. The 903 pad incident and the violations to which Rockwell pled guilty demonstrate reckless and criminal handling of radioactive waste. Unfortunately, they are not the only examples. Throughout the plant's history, Dow and Rockwell buried, stored, and spilled radioactive and other dangerous waste at the site. Dangerous waste leaked into the soil. This map shows where the known waste sites are today, but no one can say where this waste will go in.
2: You know what the funny thing is in all this? If they hadn't started radiating my house and murdering us, I maybe never would have gotten interested in nuclear, right? They helped me out. Just like if Intel had just done the decent thing and paid me and not tried to steal... I may not have sued them or had any reason to figure out that they're all run by a bunch of psychopaths. So, yeah, kind of interesting, huh? Because had they not been murdering us in this house, I'm really sure that, sure, I knew about nuclear, but not to this degree. It clearly was not really on my radar that closely. So let's continue on here. So, yeah, there's always a cause and effect. In my case, I think it was a good cause because I am okay with all of this because it has helped my work. And I'm just here to work, not to be an old lady complaining about pain and stuff. (laughs) Although it is extraordinarily painful, (laughs) I must say.
8: In the future. One reason is that Rocky Flats is the home of many thousands of gophers and other animals and the millions of ants and other insects. These animals dig into the ground and churn up the soil. In most environments, this animal activity is natural and healthy. At Rocky Flats, it can bring deadly nuclear contaminants to the surface where winds can resuspend them. So, as in the past, the radioactivity from nuclear waste buried in hot spots will spread far beyond the plant's boundaries in years and decades to come. Because of poor waste management practices, radioactive contamination was released into the environment. What's more, the site is still crowded with waste accumulated and mismanaged during 37 years of Dow and Rockwell control. These wastes dumped or stored in barrels throughout the site and buried and leaking into the soil continue to threaten nearby communities. The grade for waste management is clearly an F. A third key area that must be completely controlled in the operation of a plant like Rocky Flats is that of criticality. Remember that if too much plutonium accumulates in one place, a deadly nuclear reaction can occur. This reaction or criticality event can result in a lethal radiation dose to everyone nearby. In 1989, a firm called Scientech was hired by the Department of Energy to study criticality safety at Rocky Flats. The team reported that they found several kilograms of plutonium in exhaust ducts in building 771. That's enough plutonium to cause a criticality event under certain conditions. Before the study, plant managers assured that there wasn't such a plutonium buildup at the plant. But a former employee had specifically suggested exhaust ducts as a probable location for plutonium buildup. And the study team found indications of plutonium in other ducts as well. In addition, the team found about 16,000 gallons of plutonium residue stored in barrels in the basement with a broken sump pump, no water level alarms, and no radiation alarms. There were water marks on the walls and on the barrels showing that it had flooded in the past. The Scientech team found that this combination of factors was unacceptable in terms of risk of criticality, because if flooding would occur, for example, from a broken pipe, a criticality event might occur. They also found residue drums in storage, stacked up high on shelves but not restrained. The team found that in an earthquake, the drums could fall off their shelves, which could result in a criticality accident. In addition to these specific problems, the team reviewed 600 procedural infractions under Dow and Rockwell going back almost 30 years. The Scientec team judged that there was complacency and poor communication on safety matters. They found eight serious infractions that cut the margin of safety unacceptably close. The team also reported that the plant didn't follow DOE safety guidelines, that there should be, during normal operations, at least two barriers to prevent a criticality accident. Finally, the team reported that employees seemed afraid to raise their concerns to their own supervisors. In their report, which covered both the Dow and Rockwell eras, the team concluded, quote, the team is not satisfied with criticality safety practices or with the understanding of nuclear safety standards by the workers in the plant, end quote. For criticality, Rocky Flats Management gets a D. The only reason it's not an F is that, fortunately, no uncontrolled criticality event is known to have occurred there. The final area of management performance we will examine is inventory control. Plutonium is both valuable and dangerous. It is important to know how much plutonium is on site and where it is at all times. This takes meticulous inventory control. As a key ingredient in nuclear weapons, plutonium is far too dangerous to lose track of. To keep track of plutonium, the plant is supposed to record how much plutonium is shipped in, how much is inside the plant, and how much is shipped out in either weapon parts or in waste. Just as with your checking account, the numbers should balance. When the numbers do not balance, the difference is said to be material unaccounted for, or MUF for short. There are five places where this MUF can be. The first place the MUF could have been lost is in the waste. Second is bookkeeping or measurement errors. Someone forgot to count the plutonium or wrote down the wrong number. A third possibility is theft. Fourth. Muff could be accumulated in ducts, pipes, or other places. And fifth, the missing material could have been released into the environment, for example, from a fire or from improper storage, like at the 903 pad. Dow and Rockwell did a poor job of keeping track of plutonium. As a result, there are now some 2,600 pounds of plutonium unaccounted for. That's enough for nearly 400 nuclear weapons. No one can reconstruct exactly where the muff went. Plant management gets an F in inventory control. As I mentioned earlier in this presentation, plutonium was not the only hazardous material handled at the plant. As indicated in this document, there were thousands of chemicals used at the Rocky Flats plant, many in substantial quantities. Some of these materials pose potential hazard to workers and to the environment if not handled with caution. One class of such chemicals is called volatile organic compounds, or VOCs. These chemicals are not radioactive, but are still very toxic. Some are poisonous, and some cause cancer. Huge quantities of VOCs were used at Rocky Flats to clean equipment. Plant management did not control emissions or disposal, and most of two to seven million gallons of VOCs used each year ended up in the environment. In the nearly 40 years of Rocky Flats operations, plant management failed time and time again in the way they handled these dangerous substances. Their failure has led to the release of plutonium and other radioactive dangerous substances into the environment outside of the plant boundaries. As was known to Dow and Rockwell, thousands of people live in close proximity to the plant. It's difficult to estimate with certainty how much plutonium was released to the environment, though some certainly was. The releases are especially serious given that inhalation of even a minute quantity of plutonium is dangerous, and given that any plutonium released will be radioactive for tens of thousands of years. Everybody agrees that plutonium has escaped from the plant into the off-site environment. They just disagree about how much has been released. Scientists from the Department of Energy drew these contour lines to show which areas they concluded were most contaminated. The areas within the contours closest to the plant received the most contamination. The areas within the contours furthest from the plant, the least. The contour line in the middle has been used to help define the classes in this litigation. The plutonium releases were preventable, for example drums of contaminated waste should never have been left in an unprotected outdoor location like the 903 area. But even if they were put there, proper labeling, protecting the drums from the weather, good monitoring of the drums, and taking action when it was first discovered that the drums were leaking would have made a difference. These simple and common sense measures were not taken. Instead, Dow allowed the leaking drums to remain in place for years leading to significant release of plutonium off-site. Regardless of how much got out or where it is now, about half of that released plutonium will still be in the environment 24,000 years from now. In 1989, the FBI raided Rocky Flats because they suspected that Rockwell was violating laws about the disposal of hazardous waste. After the raid, the plant was shut down and Rockwell was replaced as contractor. Since 1989, the government has employed EG&G and later Kaiser Hill to manage Rocky Flats. They've barely begun the task of cleaning up the plutonium mess that was allowed to accumulate for nearly 40 years. No one knows precisely how much plutonium is at the plant or where it all is. DOE itself has estimated that there are still over 28,000 pounds of deadly plutonium at Rocky Flats, some of it in unstable form. As we saw with the 903 pad, cleanup itself could trigger additional substantial releases. An earthquake could cause a fire and a catastrophic release. Another fire could cause additional releases of plutonium into the nearby neighborhoods. A serious fire could cause a catastrophic release and contaminate hundreds of square miles with astronomical cleanup costs. This threat, unfortunately, will be with us for a long time. This is the legacy of decades of negligence and mismanagement at Rocky Flats.
2: Okay, that clip is Rocky Flats Health and Safety Violations, the must-watch episode, and it's from eight years ago. Why aren't I just the bundle of good news here today, right? (laughs) Well, okay, that was the evidence of Rocky Flats. Now, it's pretty quiet around here, so... I am going to attempt to play the clip that is from the whistleblower. It is a wonderful piece. Box. It is um, somebody did a compilation of the local news with this James Stone character the talking, okay? Was Whoops, sorry, sorry. Oh, jeez. okay. Anyway, um, James Stone is his name. Suspicious-looking character, has a very distinct cleft chin. You know, I've been on those cleft chins for a long time now. Um, Yeah, the cleft chin comes from when women are given hormones in vitro. No, excuse me, when babies are given hormones in vitro to flip them, they will get a cleft chin. Now, did this guy get flipped as a child? I don't really know, but he's suspicious, okay? Huge cleft chin, always gets my attention. So anyway, so the the whistleblower, is name is James Stone. Another kind of suspect thing. His name is Stone. I love that name, right? Like Black Stone, Black Rock. Okay, the title of the clip is Rocky Flats Whistleblower, James Stone. And I found, it's almost an hour, but I found it marvelous the way that they um, fed him the lines and told this story. So let's take a look.
10: I may report to me a fact that is now proven. It indicates that that plant is dangerous. I want it shut down. That's the governor.
1: That is an angry Governor Romer responding today to government allegations that the Rocky Flats plant has been concealing illegal dumping and contamination. Those allegations were contained in an affidavit that the FBI made public today. The affidavit documents what the FBI suspects were lies and criminal collusion by Rockwell International and the Department of Energy. It is the first glimpse that...
2: For those of you that like to complain about my audio, this audio is bad, so... (laughs) I'm already down to, like, I have a 3.9 star rating on, um, maybe I'll get down to 3 before I die. Okay, here we go
1: evidence that may lead to criminal charges for endangering the health of people in the Denver metropolitan area. Von Roche has the story.
10: To date, the investigation shows that building 771, an outdated waste incinerator, was used without a proper government permit to dispose of radioactive and other hazardous waste. A criminal active proven in court, one that may have spewed cancer causing and toxins into the air. Planes with infrared sensors over the building in December finding it in operation, even though Rockwell said it was closed down for safety reasons. Such false statements are also possible criminal violations. A new incinerator, Building 776, was to dispose of the waste, but has never been operational. Investigation also shows that hazardous waste was regularly dumped into both Walnut and Woman Creeks, streams that feed into Great Western Reservoir and Stanley Lake. Drinking water supplies for Broomfield, Westminster, Northland, and Thornton. The affidavit does not specify which chemicals were dumped into the streams, but all Rocky Flats chemicals subject to regulation, radioactive or otherwise, are potentially cancer-causing, a danger to public health. The FBI is also investigating how it is that the Department of Energy could award Rockwell an $8.6 million bonus for quote, excellent management of Rocky Flats. When at least three of its own previous reports said some of the waste facilities were patently illegal and leading to radioactive contamination of air and water the affidavit also presents evidence that rockwell lied about the actual amount of non-radioactive waste generated at the site one application for an operating permit said it generated 13,000 tons the environmental protection agency verified that the plant generated twice that amount In fact, Rockwell could not say where or how more than 7,000 tons of the toxic waste was disposed. Without proper permits and by all the alleged violations, the FBI affidavit concludes that Rockwell and the DOE, in essence, operated an illegal waste treatment, storage, and disposal facility since 1981. Von Rusch, KMGH 7 News. Now, if all this wasn't
6: enough, the General Accounting Office, the investigative arm of Congress. Is now looking closely at rocky flats specifically the goa is looking into bonuses paid to rockwell by the government for good performance since 1981 rockwell has apparently earned more than 41 million dollars in bonuses the goa is also looking at bonus programs at other weapons plants well for six years rocky flats had an in-house whistleblower an engineer who was assigned to find problems report them and offer solutions james stone no longer works at rocky flats he was laid off dave mitchell is with mr stone right now to talk about what he saw inside the plant over those years david the man you were about to meet is the man who blew the whistle james stone worked for the plant from
7: 80 till 86 and you were fired am i correct sir i believe i was fired yes that's right why i think they got tired of of hearing my reports of uh, their incompetence and waste and safety hazards and Whatnot that they chose to cover up
11: in the report earlier you heard governor romer say if this place is dangerous it should be shut down let me ask you in the six years
7: that you were here did you see things that were dangerous to the workers and the people who live around rocky flats rocky flats in its present condition and over the last decade has been extremely dangerous not only to the workers of the plant but to the whole metropolitan area and it's I'm delighted that the FBI and the EPA and Admiral uh, Watkins have decided to do something about it. It's long overdue. Why did you go to the FBI, sir? Well, I'm an engineer. I've wanted to be an engineer since I was 15 years old when I first entered high school. I'm proud of my work, as most people are in whatever they do. I saw no reason for the incompetence and safety hazards to exist. It just didn't make any sense. And the only, the only thing that, that, that made any sense at all is the people here were afraid to lose face, for fear they lose a little bit of those bonuses that they got due to that nutty contract that the DOE has with, the, with their contractors. And, and I, I can only say that I hope Admiral Watkins investigates this deal through the FBI and and EPA investigations and takes these lying, thieving bastards and throws them in jail and gets on with the job of national defense and uh, developing an industry for the nuclear industry. Let me ask you a question. When you were here as a quality assurance engineer, a troubleshooter, a safety
11: engineer, did conditions exist that could lead to an accidental nuclear
7: explosion a chain reaction yes and those exist those conditions still exist here there there's material stored here in fact we we advertise that we have boxcars full of material stored here and uh the 900 complex is full of the uh, material that's stored here and with the terrorist movement and, and maybe the russian threat is is uh to where um uh, We'll be closer allies. But if a terrorist, some coop got on one of those foothills and lobbed the shell into uh, one of those boxcars or into one of these storage warehouses, at a time of high wind, we would have such a panic out of Denver that it'd leave it a ghost town. One quick question question here. Do the conditions exist for an explosion just out of
11: uh, carelessness, just out of a lack of knowledge, terrorists aside, did the conditions
7: exist here that it could just be an accident? We have seen examples of the incompetence of the existing operator. Uh, it, it, it boggles the mind to, to hear the testimony that they gave to the various commissions that would listen to him once a month uh, in Harvard uh, and Westminster and so on, the monitoring committees, uh, the, the, the stupidity. It, it just caused everybody to, to make a mockery of this institution. Mr. Mr. Stone, Mr. Stone I have I have a question. Yes, Parker,
1: Mr. Stone, thank you for joining us. Because of your whistleblowing, your being an engineer and a watchdog there and knowing what's going on, have you ever felt in any danger? Has anyone ever threatened you because of the things that you've come forward and said?
7: I don't worry about myself too much, but <laughs> I do have concern for the family. And I think it's unfortunate. But I think they realized long ago they're stuck with me, and, and, uh, and God's not going to let them do anything. How would you answer the critics who say you were laid off, this, this is all just sour grapes? Well, I think the circumstances were that when I was given my one-hour's notice, I was signing the last drawing. Now, 80% of the crew was working directly under me as the lead principal engineer. And and of all of the deadwood in the engineering department, they got 1,200 engineers out there. Can you imagine 1,200 engineers and still have some of the ridiculous problems that they're faced with, and they still haven't been resolved? And here I am working my tail off overtime and everything else, and they select me to be laid off. No one was more more surprised than me. I was so boggled, I shook the bastard's hand when I left. Let me ask you one thing. We talked about polluting the air, polluting the water, polluting the ground. Did you see those things when you were here? Yes, I did, and commented on them regularly.
11: Mr. Stone, thank you very much. That's James Stone, the man who blew the whistle, went to the FBI about two years ago and came to us to tell his story. We want to point out, in fairness, he has an active lawsuit going against Rockwell That lawsuit is now in court
9: and has not yet come to trial. We will have a series of interviews with Mr. Stone in which he will
11: talk about the careless handling of plutonium, the most deadly and explosive material on earth, the careless handling of beryllium, tests that were supposed to protect workers that didn't. We'll have that over the next several days and we'll have James Stone back again live at 6. Live at Rocky Flats, Dave Mitchell, KMGH 7 News. Against Rockwell, that lawsuit is now in court and has not yet come to trial. We will have a series of interviews with Mr. Stone, in which he will talk about the careless handling of plutonium, the most deadly and explosive material on Earth, the tests that were supposed to protect workers that didn't. We'll have that over the next several days, and we'll have James Stone back again live at 6. Live at Rocky Flats, Dave Mitchell, KMGA.
2: That Mr. Stone didn't seem to have a problem working there until he got laid off, now, did he? 7
11: News. Mind-boggling.
2: Thank you very much, David. And our
11: thanks to Mr. Stoner, Brilliant yes. man uh, who gave up his job and said, uh, since had to move away from the state, he is uh, in a lot of ways been run out of the state. And he and one attorney have battled the huge military-industrial complex, the, uh, the weapons complex, and, and Rockwell in court. And uh, because no one would listen to him, and he got fired for warning the people inside that there was trouble. Now he's gone public, and it is he who went to the FBI.
1: Well, we have someone standing by, I'm sure, who is interested in the comments Mr. Stone was uh, making with us. The allegations of safety violations have... uh... Let's go back now to David Minchall, who's standing by out at Rocky Flats. David? Whistleblower, you heard David Skagg say that there is nothing here that he has seen that endangers the public health.
7: Are there things here that right now endanger the public health? they damn sure, are. and I'd like to conduct a tour of um, Mr. Skaggs and uh, Roy Homer and uh, the FBI and EPA people and, and uh, take them to specific sites
6: that uh, will curl their hair. We'll consider that a challenge, and uh, hope they'll take us up on it. Let, let do you think uh, that people inside the plant, is it possible to hide things from the FBI agents and the EPA agents that are in there now? I don't know how much advance notice uh, you gave them,
7: but uh, I don't think they can hide the records. Uh, They process so much material and and they've got to account for it. Like an accountant told me one time, uh, if you enter everything in the books, I can find out where you stole. And uh, I hope that that, uh, they look at Rockwell's accounting of material. If you make a material and energy balance, you can't hide anything. But don't be kidded. That, that that can't be made. That has to be made. That, that's the foundation of your investigation. Thank but Mr. So. Stone,
1: part of the allegations that we've heard is that there have been gaps in the paperwork, that things perhaps have been lost in from one document to the other. Do you think that's a possibility?
7: Oh, absolutely. As old <laughs> said, um, I'm sitting there shredding papers while the dinghies are walking through the office. Sure, that can happen. But I would say uh, uh, you're not going to fool the FBI that way. And this is the man who tipped the FBI off.
11: More with Jim Stone live at 6. Again, live at Rocky Flats, Dave Mitchell, KMGH
6: 7 News. Thanks, David. And we'll be right back.
1: We heard from James Stone at the top of our newscast, the man who blew the whistle on problems at Rocky Flats. He was an engineer at the plant
6: for six years. His job was to find problems, report them, and then offer some solutions. He's at Rocky Flats, right now, live with Dave Mitchell. Dave. Mr. Stone, let me ask you,
11: what happened to you when you reported these problems to Rockwell and the Department of Energy? Problems uh, such as contamination, plutonium, groundwater contamination, water contamination. What happened to you?
7: Well, usually my suggestions and reports were ignored, and I'd usually be taken off the project, and the project would be assigned to another engineer. Were you eventually fired? Yes. Were you fired for bringing up these things they didn't want to hear about? Well, I'm, I'm sure it didn't delight them to, to know that they had problems of this extent, but it was mind-boggling to me that they weren't interested in them uh, as just ordinary citizens and wanting to solve them because they had the wherewithal to solve them if they weren't so afraid of losing face uh, with DOE and DOE with Congress. What do you mean losing face? What are you saying here? A lot of people, including Rockwell and uh, and possibly government agencies, get their awards by the impressions they leave rather than the tangible evidence of their uh, of their good work. Uh, and so they, they hide their their errors. I was told uh, by my supervisor one time, we never allow the Department of Energy to know that we're anything other than absolutely perfect. Then I said, why the hell don't we go to them quarterly and tell them how, how great we are. I knew damn well it would be hard for us to, to, to show that tangibly, but I thought it would them to start thinking about presenting a, a positive picture to the Department of Energy so that they in turn could present a positive picture to Congress and we'd start to correct these problems instead of hiding them so much. Let me ask you this, did Rockwell, did the Department of Energy know that there was plutonium going into the air, that there were pollutants
11: going into the groundwater, The water that people wind up drinking that there were there was contamination going
7: into the ground did the people who run this place know that absolutely they absolutely knew it and did they lie about it did they cover it up they absolutely lied about it and the ambassador should be sent to jail why did you go to the fbi two years ago i wasn't getting much satisfaction from uh, the doe at albuquerque who manages this this uh, doe office And I was hoping that they would do it under an energy efficiency program, which they're always touting. And uh, when that uh, didn't materialize, I had an opportunity to meet uh, 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 a very fine uh, FBI agent and uh, an agent with the EPA investigation. And um, I I placed my confidence in them that they would do something about it. One very quick question. We ask you this at 5 o'clock. Did there exist? During your tenure
11: here, 1980 to 1986, and to this day, the possibility of a nuclear explosion.
7: Yes, there's there's a lot of possibility here of, of very serious nuclear explosions here. Mr. Stone, thank you. James Stone, the man who blew the whistle on Rocky Flats.
11: More from him at 10, and we'll have more on specific technical items, things that we need to worry about. Things like how the Flats manage plutonium, things like how the workers may have been exposed to beryllium, something that can kill that lodges in the lungs. We'll have more at 10 and more throughout the weekend and next week on 7 News. Live at Rocky Flats, Dave Mitchell, KMGH 7 News.
1: Thank you, David. Very frightening revelations. You know, I can't help thinking about the hundreds, perhaps thousands of protesters who camped out at Rocky Flats and and sat on the the tracks to try to prevent uh, cancer-causing radioactive elements from going in and out of that facility so many years ago.
11: And I can't help but think that Rocky Flats has said for years, it's okay, trust us. And now,
1: through people like Mr. Stone, we're finding that that trust apparently was misplaced. Yesterday, a spokesman for the company said Rockwell would have nothing further to say about the investigation.
6: And joining us now live is Congresswoman Pat Schroeder from Denver. And Ms. Schroeder, thanks for joining us. Uh, It seems like a snowball going downhill right now. We've had a lot of people call our switchboards after hearing Mr. Stone. We ought to close this place down, they say. Do you think that's too harsh right now? Let me tell you, as one who's worked very hard on whistleblower protections. Mr. Stone
0: is a hero. I mean, he's risked his career and everything to tell the truth. And I think we've got to really, really salute him. And I, I think people are realizing how terrific he has been and how brave he's been. Let me also congratulate you for summarizing this incredible document very, very well. Channel 7's done a terrific job. But let me say what troubles me the most about this document that really underlines what Mr. Stone was saying. In 1987, as they were awarding the bonuses to Rockwell, this is in this affidavit on page 57, and it comes right out of government files. So there's no question about this. What does this say? It's a memorandum written by the overseers in Albuquerque from the Department of Energy to the Department of Energy in Washington. This is what it says. It says the Department of Energy should resist the efforts of environmental and public health authorities trying to clean up Rocky Flats and other DOE facilities. And says that DOE is going to send a message to the Environmental Protection Agency that DOE and its contractors are going to go to the mat in opposing enforcement actions at DOE facilities. I've never heard such arrogance. When the government can't, people can't rely on the government's word. When they lose that trust, this is an absolute outrage. And this is it. From a memo, no question about it. Well, Ms. Schroeder, you're part of the government. Do you want to close down rocket right now? <laughs> if there is any danger, any danger at all, yes, I do. And I think it's outrageous how when they told us certain things have been closed down last year, DOE flying over, it found out indeed it wasn't. So, or FBI. They are playing with... Everybody, and I must say, I think it's scandalous. Those of us who used to question and have questioned, I've been questioning for 15 years. They question our patriotism, Um, they've tried to make us look foolish, they've tried to make us look like we're part of the flat earth caucus, and now we find out it's really all part of the cover up.
6: I can't help but think, why did this take so long? Now the FBI's in it, the EPA's in it. Why did it take so long? You said you were on it for 15 years.
0: Absolutely, because you walk into that plant, and if you are not sophisticated like Mr. Stone, and if you don't know what's going on, you don't know exactly what to look for. And they all tell you, hey, everything's terrific. Not only that, they totally control access to the plant, so there's no way to make a surprise visit. They know when you come in, they know when you go out, and believe me, the house is clean when you go through there. And then they kind of look at you like you must have fallen on your head in the snow. You see, everything here is wonderful. Trust us, we're your friends from the federal government. Um, Mr. Stone's on the inside. He knew what was happening. He was trained in those areas. And so he could finally direct people to what was happening. You never get at these things without the courage of a whistleblower. And believe me, it takes a lot of
1: courage to go against your employer, the man who's helping pay your mortgage. Well, let's go back to me right now. Thank you very much, Ms. Schroeder, for joining us. Dave Mitchell has Mr. Stone with him again. David?
11: I would like to pose a question to Mr. Stone. Ms. Schroeder says if there is a danger to the health of the people of the metropolitan area, this place ought to be closed down. To your knowledge, does this place now
7: present a health hazard to the people of the metro area? It does, but the quickest solution is to allow the, the honest people, the hardworking people at Rocky Flats, to straighten it out. We need this industry for national defense. We need this industry for for the, the the development of the nuclear industry. And I want to take this this opportunity to thank Pat for offering immunity to anybody that would provide information on this. And I hope the workers at Rocky would take her up on it on that on that. Because I know they have the capability to straighten this thing out. And they can straighten it out a hell of a lot quicker than than we can shut out. Uh, the plant and start all over with the cleanup. It can be cleaned up, it can be straightened out, but it's got to be under, they've got to be accountable to someone. And I think Admiral Watkins is the guy to do it. And I, I think if that puts the pressure on those people, uh, I think it can be straightened up a hell of a lot quicker than it can be shut down. Channel 7, Denver, and Colorado.
3: Now from the McGraw Hill Communication Center, this is KMGH 7 News
0: at rocky flats may be sacrificing their
6: health for their jobs seven news has learned that hundreds of machinists at the bomb plant may have been exposed with deadly material for as long as 20 years
2: because full disclosure i have a relative who worked at rocky flats i knew the relative had cancer um, but i didn't know that they'd worked at rocky flats until i mentioned that i was looking into rocky flats and yeah that it lodges that all it takes is a little tiny piece to lodge in and create the heat with inside because that's what we're going through now it's lodged into our system I'd be surprised if we didn't have lung cancer but I'm not going to go there but anyway so yeah I like to disclose if I have any potential biases like my father did fly for the U.S. military I don't have a personal ax against any of these things. I just like to be very clear. I find it all so horrifying. So let's continue. Oh, wait a minute, okay. Oh, shoot. Okay, I'm at 2131. Let me not lose my place here. Okay, let me, let me refresh, 2131. Where is my sound? Sorry, I stopped that clip. Okay, let's see here. Let me refresh again. Okay, unplugged my thing, I refreshed glove
7: boxes where plutonium was handled at Rocky Flats. When the uh, the building superintendent wanted to show me this, he said, I'm gonna turn off the lights, Jim, and leave the lights on in the glove boxes. I saw gaps a quarter inch wide. And they were they were not sealed at all. Uh, and, and these are the glove boxes that, that contain material that is so hazardous that you have to work through gloves indirectly touching this this equipment.
11: The glove boxes were protected by a vacuum system designed so air would have leaked in through the cracks, not plutonium out. And if the vacuum system failed, a safety valve kicked in a backup system. That box is under a vacuum, and if it ever even gets close to
7: atmospheric pressure, this valve is supposed to open up and suck everything out of that box. But troubleshooter Stone learned the glove box safety valves didn't work. He found the one was never hooked up. Another was capped. And then when I, as I investigated other valves,
8: mm-hmm. and,
7: and I would simulate a failure, and they were supposed to open up, even though they were connected to piping, they didn't open up. And how many of these got? And what's the procedure here? When we get these valves from the vendor, don't we test them before we install them? No, we don't do that.
10: Did the safety valves work at all? No, they didn't. They didn't work at all. For 12 years, they didn't work at all. Our front line of defense. Or, been he has a problem
11: with the clip, not me. i to comment on that or on anything else. Lord Stone claims there were numerous times conditions existed for a critical mass reaction and explosion. Tomorrow we're going to ask for records under the Federal Freedom of Information Act that will show how often we have been put in nuclear peril for Rocky Flats.
1: Good evening, thanks for joining us. And this evening, this time the former Rocky Flats engineer is talking to a special group of scientists investigating whether a nuclear accident ever happened there or could happen at the plant. Tonight we get an exclusive look at Stone's latest testimony from Dave Minshall, who's standing by with a report on what these investigators are trying to uncover. Dave? It's called the
11: Criticality Safety Assessment Team, a real mouthful. 12 members of the team have been cruising Rocky Flats streets for the past week. They're going to continue to look into every nook and cranny of this nuclear weapons plant for the next week. Yesterday, we've learned, they heard from the man who claimed there have been nuclear accidents here before, and that nuclear accidents could happen in the future. Stone says he gave investigators a blueprint of where to look for criticality problems at
7: Rocky Flats. About ten buildings, which uh, are the ten buildings that already have criticality systems, criticality alarm systems in place. And those are the likely candidates. The criticality team is searching for evidence that an accidental chain
11: reaction, a small explosion called a blue flash, might have occurred. Stone says it has.
7: Absolutely. And do you believe that that potential still exists? Yes. It's just part of the business. Stone told the committee to be suspicious of what the plant told them. Not telling the truth. Telling half-truths. Leading them astray. Uh, The dog and pony shows that all the previous committees
8: have gone through. Although they did not put it in so many words, they need help from people with personal experience regarding criticality. Uh, That
11: I can tell they're leaning toward. need to point out two things one is that stone is involved in a lawsuit against rockwell the contractor here at rocky flats also need to emphasize that when we talk about criticality and uncontrolled chain reaction we are not talking about a mushroom cloud we are talking about a laboratory accident a flash it would release lots of uh, radioactivity, but it wouldn't blow up a building or anything like that and who are the people doing the investigating uh scientists a dozen of them uh one of them from colorado they seem to be very independent. Stone and his lawyers seem to think they are right and have the capability of making the decisions. Stone emphasizes, however, that it's important that Rocky Flats employees with information come forward and talk to these people. Stone says he shouldn't, that uh, the committee shouldn't uh, trust DOE or Rockwell to come forward and say, here are some problems. Only employees can do that. They say they ought to open a hotline here. Dave mentioned at Rocky Flats. Thanks, Dave.
1: Investigative reporter Dave Minshall talked to whistleblower Jim Stone in an exclusive interview
11: today. Dave? The, when we first raised the possibility of an accidental nuclear re- chain reaction here, it was right after the FBI raided this place earlier in the summer. Everybody from the Department of Energy to Rockwell to Governor Romer said it just wasn't a possibility. Well, we've learned that a special team has been quietly investigating that danger out here, and they're taking the possibility very seriously.
7: This is a war of Jim yeah. Stones, making life difficult for Rocky Flats again. We're, we're tired of the damn greedy uh, uh, defense contractors and, and the, the crooked uh, politicians uh, bleeding the treasury and jeopardizing us to boot. The criticality assessment team has been prowling the streets and buildings
11: of Rocky Flats for the past week and will continue its on-site investigation for another week. The team's looking for the possibility that an accidental nuclear chain reaction could occur, or has occurred at the Platt's plutonium processing facilities. Stone claims it has. Absolutely. And do you believe that that potential still exists? Yes.
7: It's just part of the business.
11: A criticality in the plutonium production area wouldn't be an atomic explosion. It'd be more like a
0: blue flash. And The company that runs Rocky Flats for the government says Rockwell International categorically denies allegations of intentional dumping and cover-up at the weapons plant. This afternoon at Rocky Flats, Rockwell Chairman Don Beale blasted the campaign against his company and Rocky Flats. Poor little victims. Much of what has been reported in the media has been
7: just plain unfair, inaccurate, or incomplete.
2: Don Beale. B-E-A-L is the guy's name. Don, probably something up with him, right? Don, B-E-L-L is the person you're looking for that is the victim in this thing. What a sad story this Don person is going to tell us. They're so picked on. Okay, what was his name again? Don. Okay, let's go back to Don here. Okay, Don, I was going to look up his wife, but I'll look her up later. Um, Wrong clip, let me see here. Where was I? Okay, here we are. Found my way back. Let me repeat, emphatically, we are not aware of any
7: evidence that any Rockwell employee has intentionally violated the law at
6: Rocky Flats. <laughs> blower jim stone says he won't be silenced about what he considers safety and pollution problems at the nuclear weapons plant Investigative reporter dave mitchell has more on the man who says he's just begun to talk Dave. when former rocky flats engineer jim stone went to the epa
11: and the fbi with complaints about rocky flats complaints which contributed to the massive federal raid on the plant it wasn't the first time he griped he griped internally and got fired a lawsuit followed and that's what Stone's latest controversy is all about.
7: Nice I say, throw them bastards in jail, get on with the job of defending the country, and make us a viable industry. And those vintage Jim Stone,
11: blasting Rocky Flats, and his former employer, plant contractor Rockwell.
7: Rockwell fired him three years ago they called a layoff but there, there was no there was a firing there was no question in my mind they're firing for trying to point out safety problems here health problems here i think they just got tired of listening to my weekly reports on uh, on various problems and At an august pre-trial hearing into stone's lawsuit against rockwell
11: where stone claims he was fired illegally judge kenneth barnhill
10: warned stone he thought his comments to the media should be limited to no comment not told that you can't do it, but told that there will be certain things that will happen to you if you do exercise your rights, and then you begin to think twice about exercising them. Judge Barnhill said he was worried Stone's
11: statements would make it difficult for Rockwell to get a fair trial. but Stone's lawyer says Stone won't shut up. It's a matter of conscience and patriotism for Mr.
8: Stone. Mr. Stone wants a safe and effective nuclear industry. <coughs> His position is not shut
11: down the plants no matter what. His position is to make them work right and safely. Stone and his attorneys say, say while there has been a tremendous amount of publicity about Rocky Flats, which might make it tough for Rockwell to get an impartial jury trial, Stone didn't have anything to do with a lot of that negative coverage. And, of course, what he's referring to there is the raid by the FBI and the EPA. Stone spoke after that, not before that. His point is that while he has made comments, certainly comments which have had an impact, most of the negative but publicity has come from the Fed, it's not from him.
1: Well, would you
2: characterize Mr. Sto- okay, hang on one second here. I got to go take care of something. i be right back. Life happens. Life happens. Life happens. Okay, wait a second. If I don't disconnect myself, it'll be a bonus. Okay, let me pick up here. Uh, We're just, we're about 10 minutes to go. here, So, I have to plod along to make sure I don't disconnect anything. Let's see. Okay, made it back. So let's continue on here. Oh, let me plug the speakers in first. Mm. Okay, dokie, let's see if the speaker works this time. Stone is a publicity
1: hound. Did he come to us seeking a, a podium? No, just, we, we got a hold
11: of Jim Stone. We figured out shortly after the raid that he was a whistleblower. We went to him and asked him to talk. This has gone on the offensive today as far as pollution is concerned. Earlier in the summer, you'll remember in June, the FBI and the EPA raided this place investigating charges of intentional pollution, contamination, even running a radioactive incinerator at night. Rocky Platt says there's no evidence of that. Today they wrote the White House, senators, congressmen, and the Department of Energy saying that. That letter came from Rockwell Corporate Headquarters. The letter sent by Rockwell today says, the government must now do its part setting the record straight and disclosing all the facts. The letter goes on. If the government has information of community health or safety risks, it has the duty to make that information available, so any problems can be corrected. Finally, the letter addresses the incinerator, which the FBI says was run illegally in December. The letter says that incinerator was not secretly operated in December of 1988. A Rockwell International Spokesman just told me here at Rocky Fives that the purpose of that letter is simply to set the record straight. They say their internal investigation shows that nothing illegal was done here, nothing that would harm public health. They say that the reason they want this information from the government is that if there is a problem, the public needs to protect it. They want to know what that problem is
1: contractor said that unless it got assurances that it would not be held responsible for pollution at the plant it would stop operations dave mitchell is live now at rocky flats dave did rockwell get those assurances it wanted
11: now there have been meetings in washington all day today between rockwell the department of energy and the epa those assurances have not been forthcoming they certainly aren't going to be over the weekend and in fact now it appears there is no deadline uh, for those assurances to come through As Mark Twain said, apparently the rumors of the death of Rocky Flats are greatly exaggerated. However, Rockwell is continuing what amounts to a high-stakes game of PR and legal poker. For the first time since federal agents swarmed over the Rocky Flats plant early in June, Rockwell is trying to take the legal and public relations offensive. It started last Thursday, as Rockwell brass assured workers that all was well and safe as the plan blasting the FBI and the U.S. attorney and the media. We're not playing fair. We
7: know that it's been very hard on you, your families, and the company to have to go through the campaign that has been waged against us. In fact, much of what has been reported in the media has
11: been just plain unfair, inaccurate, or incomplete. A few days later, another Rockwell offensive in the Rocky Flats PR war full-page ads in both Denver papers, asking for the facts about Rocky Flats. Rockwell again assuring no safety or pollution laws were broken, signed by the same executives who appeared at the Flats earlier. Then, a legal broadside, aimed directly at the FBI and EPA agents that occupied the plants for weeks, grabbing evidence, and at U.S. Attorney Mike Burton, who's directing the Rocky Flats investigation. Rockwell wrote Norton a letter, insisting that a Rockwell investigation had found no Rockwell violations at Rocky Flats, urging Norton to release any information the U.S. Attorney might have that would impact public health and safety. A similar letter went to Governor Romer, who in turn said Norton should release information. One thing we will not do is knowingly place you as individuals, or this corporation, or its officers, or its board, in a position of criminal liability. One source familiar with the criminal investigation calls Rockwell's Moves a well-designed ploy to get the government to tip its legal hand. Another source familiar with the case says Rockwell is trying to line up support like the Chamber of Commerce, dangling the specter of economic disaster if the plant closes. Mike Norton, the U.S. Attorney, told me by phone this afternoon there's a law against him releasing evidence in an ongoing criminal investigation, which the investigation into Rocky Flats is. He said that he is keeping his word that if there is any evidence of new hazards to public health or safety, he will release that. He says that he has found no evidence of that. So he says he's keeping his mouth shut as the law allows. Governor Romer just told a news conference, by the way, confirms what we just told you. This place is not going to close down in the foreseeable future. He says this is a war between federal agencies. They ought to make up their minds. One question that seems to be raised raised out here is who's in charge? Is it Rockwell or the Department of Energy?
0: ...way on pollution laws. Dave Mitchell is live at the plant right now with the latest state.
11: If they didn't get their way on pollution laws, that did not happen. Telephone calls have been flying across the country all day to corporate headquarters of Rockwell in California, to the DOE
9: in Washington. The question, will they close or won't they close? They won't close, at least
11: now. No decision will be made until at least Monday. Rocky Flats is open, producing plutonium and operating as usual tonight. Reports that Rockwell would stop production tonight over a pollution rule argument turned out to be untrue. What we have here is the ultimate political hot potato. Rockwell runs this plant, makes a lot of money running it for the government, but some of the things that have happened here could get Rockwell in criminal and civil trouble. What Rockwell is trying to do right now is get itself out of that trouble before it gets in any deeper.
0: Dave, what originally triggered Rockwell to make that threat?
11: I think uh, a couple of things. First of all, they are trying to force the U.S. attorney to show his hand. There's a grand jury investigation going on, a very serious grand jury investigation about criminal environmental acts out here. If Rockwell can go on the offensive and get a little more information from the government about what the prosecutors, what cards the prosecutors are holding, that would help Rockwell. And a good Rockwell defense would be, well, we've, we uh, we obeyed the uh, pollution laws, but we obeyed these pollution laws over here. You say we should have obeyed these pollution laws over here. There are conflicts. If Rockwell could say, we
6: thought we were doing the right thing, we were obeying these laws, that would be a pretty good defense. In other news, Rocky Flats whistleblower testifies Rockwell International fired him after he told the government the company was wasting millions of dollars. Dave Mitchell reports on the first day of whistleblower Jim Stone's suit against defense contractor Rockwell. Jim
11: Stone, the balding man walking with his attorney, is suing Rockwell. Not for vindication over his charges that the plant is a nuclear nightmare, but over claims Rockwell fired him for pointing out waste and safety problems at the atomic weapons plant. In opening arguments the first day of the trial in Jefferson County, Stone attorney Hartley Alley argued that Rockwell fired Stone because he was too vocal and became a thorn in Rockwell's side. Ray Turner, representing Rockwell, claimed Stone was cut in a massive layoff that claimed 500 people. And that while Stone's engineering skills were fine, his people skills were terrible. <laughs> On the witness stand, Stone recounted telling Department of Energy engineers a Rockwell cooling water plant that cost millions was a waste of money. Stone claimed Rockwell told him never to criticize the company in front of the Department of Energy. Stone testified his Rockwell bosses told him the company's paycheck depended on performance, and his gripes to the Department of Energy would hurt that check. The 4 woman, two-man jury, listened, as Stone said that after he complained about waste, his performance rating dropped from excellent to just satisfactory. Recent independent investigations show Stone was right about some of his complaints, including charges that air ducts in the flats are filled with pounds of plutonium dust.
1: I didn't set him up for being fired. On the witness stand today in Jefferson County, Stone told jurors his supervisors began building a paper case against him after he complained about ventilation systems that didn't work in a critical area where toxic beryllium dust is generated. Stone says air monitors and air vents were not handled.
11: Triggered the FBI raid on Rocky Flats, took the witness stand today to claim defense contractor Rockwell tried to goad him into doing something he could be fired for after he complained about safety and waste at the nuclear weapons plant. Former Rockwell engineer Jim Stone, testifying in his wrongful firing lawsuit against Rockwell, told the jury that after he complained to the Department of Energy, Rockwell began to play bureaucratic games with him. Stone said to
6: harass him, Rockwell moved his office three times in two months, finally putting his desk at... Barnhill ruled that under the terms of his contract, Rockwell legally fired Stone. The jury had heard a week of Stone's testimony when the judge ruled today. The judge simply ruled that uh, there was nothing
7: in the contract to prevent Rockwell from retaliating. I I think uh, I'd exposed enough problems that they were tired of hearing about him.
8: This is round one, and be it round five, round six, round seven, whatever round it is, we will be victorious. I'm determined,
9: I'm not angry, I know God will move his own way, but I'm determined
7: to get that place cleaned up.
6: Stone sued after he was fired by Rockwell three years ago. Last summer he tipped the FBI to problems at the bomb factory which helped trigger the ongoing federal investigation. Now the judge's ruling today was on a contract issue. Hey, it was a major safety hazard.
0: But SETA News has learned that not one speck of the highly radioactive element has been cleaned out by either the DOE or by Rockwell. Investigator reporter Dave Mitchell is just back from a confrontation between the top brass at Rocky Flats and angry citizens who want to know why the dangerous dust is still in that ductwork. A
11: couple of extraordinary developments just in the last hour or so. First, although contractor Rockwell says no plutonium has been removed from the contaminated ducts, the Department of Energy now insists the process has already started, although to a small degree. Second, the government now says the criticality report was wrong, and there never was a dangerous plutonium buildup to start with. The team of independent scientists have inspected Rocky Flats for the
9: potential of accidental nuclear reaction, pinpointed plutonium buildup and production-building air
11: ducts as a dangerous hotspot. According to the criticality assessment team, uncontrolled and undetected accumulation in ducts has the potential to lead to a criticality accident. In other words, an accidental chain reaction. And they are the official citizen Rocky Flats monitoring agency demanded to know why more plutonium hasn't been removed.
0: It's been two months since
1: the criticality report came out. They've removed one piece of daff
6: it also says it's not danger
11: The criticality team found plutonium in ducts and pipes all over the flats, worst in the ducts of building 771, the plutonium recovery building. Safety inspectors found more than 11 pounds of plutonium there. But the government now says there never was a problem, because contractor Rockwell rechecked the ducts and found much less plutonium than the criticality team. With more accurate analysis, that there cannot be a criticality occurring with that quantity of plutonium. are you taking Rockwell's word over the criticality teams? Well, the criticality team,
7: again, did a very quick analysis.
1: To leave that much plutonium in the ductwork and not take it out, sounds like there's a lot of plutonium that's left.
11: The biggest change tonight... The government said they'd go along with the criticality report, which said there was a problem with 11 pounds of plutonium in that duct. The government now says its contractor has looked, and there is like 100 times less in the most contaminated section than the criticality people thought. Uh, I think this is going to raise a controversy. Now we have the contractor's work being taken over the work of the independent scientists. We're up in the air again. Who's right? Tight
1: procedures. Does not have a handle
11: on the safety problems of the plant, and the time is running out. Congressman Skank says there are reports of too many uncorrected safety problems at Rocky Flats. Problems that could lead to tragedy if the plant keeps pumping out plutonium. The report, known as the criticality report, also describes some eight close calls at the plant in which a criticality could perhaps have occurred. Skank says the shutdown at the plant would be temporary, so problems would be fixed, safety tightened, and outside inspectors appointed. Congressman Skaggs joins us now live
6: from his office. Uh, Congressman Skaggs, I'm wondering, first of all, what was it that pushed you over the brink on this? What forced you to, to speak out this strongly? Well, the criticality report that
11: I uh, released, or about which I spoke earlier in the day, pushed me to uh, ask a different question about the planet, which is not can any of us on the
9: outside show that it's not safe, but can the Department of Energy affirmatively show that it
11: is? And they are not able to do that at this point. And I think until they are, uh, they should suspend plutonium operations. I think they can uh, achieve that objective, but it's going to take some time to get that done. (laughs)
6: It's just that it wasn't there. But now its discovery is causing a furor in Washington.
1: Colorado congressional representatives are demanding that Rocky Flats stay shut down. We're going to go live via 7-Up Lake now to Dave Minchell who's been in Washington tracking down the latest plutonium revelations.
11: Dave? Bertha, I just came from Representative David Skagg's office here at the Capitol. He has just fired off this very angry letter to Admiral Watkins, the Secretary of Energy, and to the two congressional groups that oversee safety at Rocky Flats. He is demanding to know how 62 pounds of explosive... Deadly, cancer-causing plutonium could be in ducts where an officials insisted it couldn't be there. He is demanding the flat stay closed down until an investigation can be completed. This is the latest credibility crisis for Rocky Flats. The 62 pounds of plutonium is lodged in the pipes and ducts of Building 771 in the top secret plutonium security zone at Rocky Flats. The plutonium dust has apparently been sucked into the ducts above blood boxes over the years. Settling out in dips and curves of the pipes. This of Jim Stone which predicted plutonium in the ducts last summer. Investigations triggered by Stone's allegations found plutonium. But the class has been downplaying the amount ever since. i the Admiral that this whole question of plutonium in the ducts has got to be resolved before activity can be resumed. Plutonium processing activity can be resumed in any of the buildings around the house.
0: Bottom line is, there shouldn't be a green light for the go-ahead. There should be a big yellow light for caution or a red light for stop until we get more answers. Here in Washington, the Department of Energy isn't saying a whole lot about the
11: new Rocky Flats plutonium fine. DOE officials claim it isn't dangerous. They also claim this isn't a case of bad plutonium accounting.
0: These poor accounting procedures means that plutonium could be taken... Uh, secretly from the plant
11: and used for uh, explosive purposes. And uh, that's, that's a troubling fact. And, uh, you know, if the bank ran its operations in this way, if it had this kind of poor accounting, it would either be shut down or go out of business. But the Energy Department seems to be running Rocky plants in such a way that, that this sort of thing uh, can happen. Question is, is it dangerous? Could this plutonium be in such concentrations? It cause, could cause a criticality accident. The answer is maybe. But a criticality accident would be, in effect, a blue flash. It would be contained within a piece of duck roof. Or with duck roof or they
2: keep saying that blue flash business. I don't believe that for a second. If that thing blows up, it's going to blow, okay? Why do they keep saying that? Within a pipe. People nearby could be
11: in with deadly radioactive But they do say it's a blue flash. Rays. But at worst, there would not be a nuclear-type explosion. There would not be a hydrogen bomb-type explosion. However, this is dangerous and... What they're saying here is, we've got to put the brakes on Rocky Flats. We can't open it now, as the Admiral had wanted to in a couple of months. There have to be more investigations, and the question now is, if they found 65 pounds, how much more is there?
1: Well, you reported on this for months and months, David, and now we have the acknowledgment from the government. Thanks so much. That's Dave Mitchell reporting live for us from Washington, D.C. Bernie?
6: Governor Roy Romer met with DOE officials and representatives of EG&G earlier today. He says he's surprised by these new developments at Rocky Flats, but he believes the problems will be corrected. And I've had some comfort that they're shut down. They need now not to start up until they cure it. So
11: there is that margin of comfort or safety. Now, in terms of these new disclosures, you bet I'm concerned like any else anybody else would be concerned we need to know the hard facts we don't need to have it given out a piece at a time most of all
6: we need to know what is the consequence of that and how do you cure it and how do you not have it happen again and be sure that you don't start that until you got it solved the governor wants the plant phased out as soon as possible but as we reported yesterday the department of energy announced that it intends to keep the plant open for the next 20 years and we've learned that a group of scientists studying Rocky Flats is now very concerned about plutonium detection devices that ring that facility. In a report to Governor Rover next month, the group will say the devices that are supposed to detect dangerous plutonium releases within the plant and also outside into the environment don't work the way they should.
2: Well, that person did a fantastic job. The <laughs> channel is called Half Life of Memory. And the clip is Rocky Flats whistleblower James Stone. It's great that they documented all of that for us to be able to listen to. I believe that this is part of the plan, not the bug in this system. But you're going to have to think for yourself. Everybody just going to sit there on Facebook while they blow us up? Going to close out with. Credence Clearwater Revival. Looking at my back door. That's how I feel today. Be safe out there. See you later.